And welcome back, folks, to Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast, uh, Corona comic book conversation edition. Uh, as you and I are all aware, we are a bunch of us quarantined in our homes. We're social distancing. We're experiencing the world in new ways. And what better time to record a podcast remotely with a bunch of people that you've never met in real life to talk about comics. It just makes so much sense. I'm social distancing, but also having fun. Um, uh, but in all seriousness, uh, folks, do take care of yourselves. Wash your hands. Practice social distancing. Um, if you're an introvert, check on your extrovert friends and vice versa. Uh, we're all in this together and we're going to get through it. So I want to offer that at the beginning for you before we dig into the fun comic shit, which is what's coming. Uh, as you are. Oh, my name is Kevin. I'm your host uh, hi, with Kevin. me as hi with me as usual are uh, Elias and Jake uh, also sort of sequestered in their homes, uh, but we're making it. Um, Make My Multiversity is your home for all things uh, Marvel Comics and other uh, whatnot. Uh, I would say other, you know, movies and things, but Black Widow is being uh, delayed a little bit because of the current pandemic. And, I'm and sure New Mutants. God and New Mutants. damn it. Fi- more and more New, new Mutants is delayed further and further down. Um, but when those movies comes out, we'll, comes out, come out, we'll be sure to talk about I'll it. I'll have here. some great um, takes on the New Mutants. I can tell you I'm that. I'm excited about that one. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're hosted by multiversitycomics.com, which if you, if you haven't, uh, checked us out, what are you waiting for? Multiversity comics is your home for all things, comics, news reviews, think pieces, uh, a ton of television content. And so, so much more. So check out all the great comment at multi- com- content at multiversitycomics.com. Uh, and then also if you're coming to us from iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever, uh, we'd love it. If you would rate review us and let us know what you're thinking and then, uh, you know, check in with us on multiversity and on, uh, on social media and things. Uh, but today, today for the first part of this episode, we're going to be doing a segment called the state of X, mostly because, uh, Don of X has entered this second phase where new books are coming out. New number one issues are coming out. The, Books that were shipping twice monthly, most of them are now shipping monthly um, again or are going to be shipping monthly in the coming months. Uh, we're gearing up for the first event, uh, Ten of Swords, which, uh, Jake, I would love to hear briefly some thoughts on that in a second. So we're entering this new phase after the first arcs of the first six books have ended. And so today we're going to be talking about um, the first issues of Wolverine uh, the, and the giant size X-Men, Jean Grey and Emma Frost one shot and Cable number one. Uh, Hellions comes out next week. Uh, so we'll be talking about that at a future time. We're also going to be talking about X-Men number seven. Um, so would you say this is the mid morning of X? This is the mid morning of X, perhaps. They're just now get, having their coffee a little bit, you know. I mean, that's what's happening Wolverine. in all the X Men books now. Yeah, They're Wolverine is picturing Scott in a speedo, and it's it's just it's just lovely. Um, <laughs> uh, Jake, you ran an article at multiversitycomics.com about Ten of Swords when it was announced um, back at C two E two, the last major con of of twenty twenty. Uh, so I want to get your your thoughts real quick as we're prepared to to talk more about these books and talk about this new this new phase of things. What do you think about about Ten of Swords and where where the books are are heading? I could not be more excited about Ten of Swords. It's Ten of Swords is one of those ideas that is so stupid and so smart at the same time, and that's what's great about superhero comics. Mm-hmm. I I compl- completely agree. Completely agree. What were you gonna say? 
I just, what if the X-Men all had swords? What if Cyclops had a lightsaber and Storm had a lightning sword and uh, Black Tom had a tree sword? Just, like, give all the X-Men swords and make a story out of it. It's We're so going obvious. back to the Watchmen comics roots of pirates, but everyone. Everyone's pirate. <laughs> well, some of them are pirates and some of them are knights and some of them are Jedis. It's just like, who has a sword? The X-Men have swords. That's the comic. It's uh, I, I've got a feeling that once it's done, we're going to wonder why it took us, uh, you know, 60 years to get here. That's true. I am really excited, too, because it seems like it's spinning out of things that are happening in Excalibur. And that's still either my first or second favorite book in, in Dawn of X. Um, so I'm, ex- and I'm excited that Teeny, Teeny Howard's get to sort of co-write some of the main stuff. And so I'm looking forward to that as well. I think you're definitely right. And I'm also on, um, I, I write the mutant versity column on multiversitycomics.com, which is a great website. And, um, we're uh, adding a feature to mutant versity from here until the event drops called sword watch. And every time a new sword, <laughs> we're going to be uh, tracing it all the way to the 10 of swords and trying to figure out which swords are the 10. There's going to be 10 swords that are the 10 of swords, which swords are the 10 of swords. Who has a sword? Who swords, swords, she sells swords, seashells, swords by the sea. Sword. anyway, whatever. Uh, doesn't matter. All right. That sounds cool. Be on the lookout for Swordwatch coming to a multiverse, coming to a cell phone on the toilet near you. Um, <laughs> all right. We're going to dig into the to the uh, to the state of X, to the X-Men comics here. So we're going to start with the first issue of the newly relaunched Wolverine comic. Um, it's Wolverine number one. It was an eight dollar issue. So it's got two uh, 30 page stories in it. The, uh, written by Ben Percy. The first story illustrated by Adam Kubert. Uh, colored by Frank Martin and the second story illustrated by with making his first ongoing Marvel ongoing comic Marvel debut, uh, Victor Bogdanovic hell colored yeah. by Matt Wilson. Hell yeah. And then all of it lettered by Corey Petit. Um, so we'll, we'll start with the first story and then we'll kind of work our way into the second story. Um, so Jake, we'll go to you. So the first story kind of deals with it. Lo- so what, what we do know is that it seems like Hubert's going to be drawing a, a story and Bogdanovich's going to be drawing a story and they're going to kind of trade off. And so I think the first three issues of the book are going to deal with Kubert's story. And then issue four or five is when Bogdanovich's story is going to, is going to come into play. And they, they seem vastly different and entirely unrelated. So <laughs> uh, in my view, but Jake, we'll start with you. What did you think overall of the, the first issue of, of Wolverine? Well, this might, be a bit of a surprise to you guys and to anyone who's listened to me have X-Men opinions on this podcast before, because I'm usually uh, very enthusiastic. I'll I'll defend uh, almost any uh, X-Men story that's been part of this initiative, but I was kind of disappointed by this first issue. Oh, yeah, I feel you. Yeah, Yeah. I I thought that I would get more pushback from you guys. Yeah, so I'm totally down for what they're doing with just kind of making uh i don't know i i just don't know what's going on but i kind of love how just ridiculous it all is but i don't know why we need i i guess my question is is why do we need this wolverine story here Hmm. uh it seems like it could be an arc of x-force yeah this this feels like it would have been beneficial to be more of a wolverine focused x-force issue although the first half this the the for this this first story uh, mm-hmm. well, i guess we'll get into the second story when we get there but this it 
we got to the end, I went, okay, I didn't need an $8 issue for this. But Qbert's layouts are really cool. I love the way the pages kind of play and the way the action unfolds. And mm -hmm. it works. It, it works for me, but it's also exceedingly stupid with pollen. <laughs> as the drug yeah and yeah, I, yeah. I, it's all the plot stuff that i could i could leave by the wayside and just kind of like kick it to the curb um mm -hmm. this is not percy's best uh and i know x-force also started out not as percy's best and honestly i think percy is terrible at beginnings because i wasn't really into his green green arrow stuff but it got so much better as it went on same with x-force it's kind of getting to more interesting places um, his night, mm. his Nightwing stuff was yeah. probably his strongest beginning, and that got cut short because he got a movie deal and then left, and then Nightwing got shot in the head. Um, Rick Grayson. Rick. Yep. Comma Grayson. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I so um, agree. I so I loved Percy's Green Arrow stuff because he came on right at the end of the new 52 or like when green arrow moved, like when that in between period where it had like the DCU. Oh like yeah. You ended, but it was DC. He came on then and had like a couple arcs of the book and they were really bad, but then like rebirth started and I thought the book was really, really good. Um, I saw, I, I, I think I kind of agree with, with you all. I, I, I put this book first one because it came out chronologically before the other three, but also because it was my my least favorite. And I will say, like, I read it a couple weeks ago when it came out and kind of thought it was like meh. And I reread it today preparing for the podcast. And I actually really liked large, large parts of it. Um, so I think Elias is, is right. Like for me, I think Percy really nails uh, Percy and and Qbert and Bogdanovic because like, oh, my God, the art on this book is really, really good. I think Q, I think Percy really nails the characters on this book but like the sort of plot and the the story part is stuff that i'm just like much less interested in um like the first 10 or 15 pages or whatever of the first story where wolverine's like flirting with gene and like talking to talking to kate pride and like doing that whole thing like i really really loved that whole that whole thing and i thought that percy really pulled off the the question of can wolverine you know, be happy because everyone, every moody man in comics right now is trying to be happy. And apparently like, that's the thing, you know, like we just had 85 fucking issues of Tom King asking if Bruce Wayne could be happy. Um, and the answer is no, apparently, uh, or like kind of anyway, this is much better in one issue of trying to like tackle that question than the 85 issues of that. Like that, that just seems to be like question of the hour is, is can people be happy? But I really liked that. I loved, I love this characterization of, 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 Wolf, of Logan. And I really, I really did too. Like this new sort of like CIA kind of character guy that he creates for the first part, Jeff Bannister. I thought he was really cool too. And like a really cool addition. Um, I felt like, I think the drug stuff is interesting. Uh, I just like the second part of where the story went was not like uh, something I was interested in. Actually, um, so the, the second part um, interested me more than the first, but I think my main disappointment with the whole thing is, um, at least from where I'm coming from, and I'm not seeing this as like a larger conversation a lot of people were having, but it's interesting that uh, Hickman has such a um, 
an organized approach to everything, right? Like uh, everybody has yeah. titles and uh, we know what their, their jobs are on the island. And there's all these different places that have these like weird esoteric uh, article noun names. Uh, it's just like there's so much planning to it. And what's weird is that Wolverine, the most popular X-Men character, doesn't have any of that. He, he's a member of X-Force, but he's not really the leader of X-Force in any uh, official way. And um, right. he's not part of the council, right? He's not sitting on the quiet council. He's not one of the captains. So it's, I thought that when I heard there's going to be a Wolverine solo book, I thought, this is it. This is going to be where we find out what Wolverine's role on the island was. And I was kind of getting oh, a vibe from Hawksbox that he was like um, de facto the sheriff of Krakoa. That uh, mm. when you need like a, when there's a fight, when you need the lawman, Wolverine, um, the the heroes respect him. The villains, Fero, respect him. You call Wolverine, and he like breaks up the infighting that's happening on Krakoa. That and and from what they were talking about the book, I thought that's where we were going. And then that it's this like drug plot, and it just feels like it could have this could have been a Wolverine comic ten years ago. It could be a Wolverine comic ten years from now. Nothing about it felt specific to Krakoa, and that was a huge bummer to me. Mm, mm, mm. That it, yeah, yeah. I think. I think that's true. And I think that's why like the second, I mean, the second part did less for me. Like the first part where like him and G- him and Gene seem like cool and like him and Kate are doing their thing. Like that seemed like sort of, it was taking advantage of Krakoa. And then even the, um, the first part of the second story um, with, which we'll, which we'll get to when Omega Red shows up and Wolverine's like, let's fucking kill him. Um, like that seemed like Krakoa specific because it's like dealing with the, what do you do when the, when the people that you hate show up? And, but you're right. Like the, and I think, I think I am in agreement, in agreement, agreement with you. Like the, the plot stuff, the larger plot things are sort of generic. Like the, the first story ends with Wolverine being like, Oh, I lost my memory. And that's like a trope that people have seen in comics a million times. And it does kind of seem to like, like it could have been a, an arc of, of, of X-Force. Like we haven't gotten to the, what is Wolverine's role on Krakoa yet and I think if that's a question that this book explores in the future it would it'll be much better for it so yeah yeah I'm with you are, are we talking about the second story a little bit as well we can yeah yeah and so and I um I did want to ask you I don't really know anything about Omega Red other than apparently Wolverine hates him um, uh well my I have always had a weird soft spot for Omega Red for two stupid reasons. One is that um, when I was a kid, I kept on catching reruns of the X-Men, the animated series episode where Omega Red, Mm. Wolverine and Storm have to uh, go rescue a Russian nuclear submarine. I just watched this episode like 10 times for whatever reason. And I was, and he's so cool looking. And when I was a kid and I was like five and that's all I needed. And then the other reason is because my bowling alley had both the uh, the big X Men arcade cabinet and um, uh, Marvel versus Capcom two arcade cabinet. Oh yeah. And um, I used to I think it was Marvel versus Capcom two or uh, X Men versus Street Fighter, one of the two. But I used to play that all the time. I used to lose a shitload of quarters on it, and I would always play as Omega Red <laughs> because he had awesome mm. tentacles, and I thought that was cool. So I was really simple. So I've always liked Omega Red, but as I have gotten older and read a lot more X-Men comics, he kind of sucks. He's like not that interesting a character. And it was only recently that I read what's probably the only arc of an X-Men comic starring Omega Red that I've ever enjoyed. And that's um, one of the early arcs of uh, Generation X. And it's about Omega Red before he gets his tentacles. And he's a serial killer um, making his way across Europe, being hunted by... um, 
uh, Sean Cassidy before he becomes Banshee, who's an, an Interpol agent. Mm. Like a really cool, like Hannibal Lecter, serial killer cop creepiness with Banshee and Omega Red. And that was awesome. That's the only time I've ever liked Omega Red. Okay. Okay. It's so like, what's, what's his like deal? Why does he, you know, why does he be bad? Why do crime? He, well, so he, uh, <laughs> I guess I guess Omega Red is like most similar to Carnage, where he was like, "What if you okay. took this guy who was like already a serial killer and was really bad, and then you gave him superpowers and he was could be super bad?" Um, okay, because like uh, the tentacles and everything are from the Russian equivalent of the Weapon X program. Okay, okay. so they're they're trying okay. to uh, make like a worthy foe for Logan, and then his powers are really dumb 90, 90s powers too. He's got a mutant death mm. factor where he like absorbs the the life energy of uh, beings who are near him, which is very 90s and doesn't make any sense. Well, maybe it makes sense because he gets paired with vampires in this story. So. Well, that's one reason why I like the second story a little bit better because that connection <laughs> immediately made sense to me. I was like, of course, he's already oh, okay. kind of a vampire. Team him up with real vampires. That's that's great. I love Marvel vampire stuff. Okay, yeah, that connection made absolutely no sense to me. So this your explanation makes much more sense and i do appreciate it i appreciate um, it in how much it's nonsense it's just like that's the good that was good nonsense to me and i also like um yeah. i've been enjoying a lot of parts of uh, jason aaron's avengers run and i really liked the vampire arc of that and this looks like yeah. it's going to connect to that and that has me stoked okay that was one of my so that was one of my questions uh for you so okay so the first story you know it's like wolverine drugs krakoan drugs drugs cocaine yeah. Second story is <laughs> like, um, you know, what if like the vampires want to fuck around with Krakoa and, you know, like Dracula shows up at the end and, and Dracula had Marvel version of Dracula, uh, not the, you know, novel version. Um, although they're supposed to be the same, I guess guy, although maybe, maybe he is novel, like creative, new, whatever, but no, he's, he's pretty, uh, jokes. <laughs> he's a pretty cliche version of Dracula. Okay. Okay. Not novel. No novelty. No. Um. Anyway, none whatsoever. Uh. But you're right. The the vampire arc in Jason Aaron's Avengers run. That was David Marquez's last thing that he did at Marvel before jumping ship. Uh. That was very good. And Dracula shows up at that, and the vampires decide that they're going to go form their own new nation in Chernobyl. Which um, is that offensive? I was just like, that would be the equivalent of a Russian comic being like, and then Dracula turned like the nine eleven ground zero site into his castle. That just seems like a bad taste, but I still kind of like it. <laughs> I think silly. I think it's slightly different. Only because Chernobyl was a, a, a natural disaster, and like, yeah, it, it's not great, but it's also completely desolate. Granted, we did turn the nine eleven memorial, the nine eleven building, into a shopping mall. We did do so, that. Yeah, I think it would be more, maybe like more equivalent to like the vampires setting up on like one of those islands in the Pacific that we like dropped nukes on because we were trying to test bombs or something yeah i could think or... of a lot of upsetting like nuclear settings that we could have i don't know just like yeah. in the back of my head i'm like this seems like it's in bad taste and then part of me is like kind of uh titillated by like that. yeah why not yeah, yeah 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 or like you know like any of the islands that america still owns because we're still an empire um Anyway, what? Like, no, what if the vampires set no, up on Puerto Rico? We're not getting empire. political in an X Men podcast. Like American Samoa. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, Jesus Christ. Um, we're not good people, folks. Anyway, uh, whatever. 
Uh, yeah. So I, I did want to ask, do you think like this comic will have anything to do with Aaron's Thor run? I read like an interview with, with Aaron on Newsarama where he was talking about his stuff might cross over with the X-Men things. This seems like one potential way it could. I don't think in a major way. Oh, you think so, Elias? Well, I mean, I think though, though, I don't know if we'll necessarily do the, uh, cross like a an official crossover although if we do they're gonna hype it all to hell instead of it just being <laughs> oh yeah con- the story continues yeah. in the next issue of i don't know of wolverine number seven and then they're back to avengers and then it's over and it's the whole thing um yeah but i think the two will will play on each other um might bring strike force in there maybe it'll cross over strike force um, blades maybe you know yeah uh, teeny's writing that we'll, book we'll get know. the strike force later Oh, oh, okay. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, in Spider Woman. Yeah, but second half of the episode. I have a uh, one yeah, galaxy I... brain take on uh, this whole Wolverine All comic. Right. Let's go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um. So at the very end, there's a final data page where they're talking about like uh, it gets into like the hemoglobin and Wolverine. Oh, wait, wait, blood. wait. With with type E. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> with the. But with all the, it comes down to um, comparing how Wolver- the healing factor in Wolverine's blood matches up to deficiencies in vampire blood, and it gets like very yeah. technical. And um, it can do that because it's a data page, so it's um, yeah, it's got like an in-story reason for being dry and informational. And just it struck me at that time that that's so cool, and I really like the data pages still in all the X Men comics. They're they're being taken in so many directions, they're being interpreted in so many ways. And it's such an interesting way to drop this like world building exposition stuff. And um, yeah. now that we're seeing it affect stuff outside of mutants in a big way, where it's affecting uh, Marvel vampire lore, I just hope that this is um, truly gonna push Marvel into doing more interesting stuff like this. And th- this very Hickman thing, where he takes a uh, non narrative comic book panels and uh, gives you information that way because um, it makes the world feel so rich. And there's so much weird stuff yeah. you can enrich this way. And it's a, it's just like a great storytelling technique. And I hope we see it all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm with, I'm with you. And that's I think my galaxy brain technique, like, uh, my galaxy, not technique. That's my galaxy brain take is that um, having data pages <laughs> about vampires opens up data pages for all sorts of Marvel books. Make more data pages, folks. Uh, otherwise, kind of disappointing. <laughs> otherwise, what are you doing? Uh, except your job, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought that I thought that too. I thought the the page was like really, really fascinating. And I think like reading this issue, I was like, why are we doing vampire stuff? Like it, I sort of had the 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 inclination that like most of the X Men stuff was going to be very separate from everything else that's happening and most of the other Marvel books. And I think that's very, very slowly starting to not be the case, which I think is cool. The vampire thing came out of nowhere, especially like for this comic, because I was not expecting that. I don't know what I was expecting. I don't know that I had like a strict sort of sense of like, oh, this is going to be the book where we find out what Wolverine's role is on Krakoa. But I did not expect vampires. And so I I guess I should mention... in case you or our listeners don't know, uh, X-Men and vampires have like a long and tangled history. And Wolverine and Dracula oh, have shit. a... All right, well... Wasn't uh, uh, Jubilee a vampire for a little while? Oh, that's true. Yeah, during uh, during the Curse of the Mutant story, uh, Jubilee became a... Wolverine and Jubilee became vampires, and the story oh, ends with Wolverine. Wolverine was a vampire? Well, there's yeah, our I mean, end. The story ends with Wolverine is cured, and Jubilee is not cured. Um, 
And the best vampire connection is that Dracula is just like deeply, unequivocally in love with Storm. And um, that's great. And I hope it comes up. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, he, Dracula kind of kidnapped. Yeah, Dracula kidnaps the X-Men a ton of times in the 70s, and then he's like, oh, but Storm is here. She's so cool, and then he lets them go. This happens a bunch. <laughs> ah, well, I hope he's still into her. That could be fun. Um, yeah. Uh, you should check out the What If issue. What If Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires, which is um, a great issue, which kind of tells you all you need to know in the title. Yeah, exactly. That's I love that that exists. Um, uh, cool. Well, any other Wolverine takes before we keep going no not with wolverine okay i think this next one is gonna have some takes so uh, next up we're gonna be talking about x-men number seven written by your friend and ours jonathan hickman illustrated by linnell Yu, uh and colored by sunny go i can't remember if this issue or last issue or i think yeah this issue is uh, i think the first issue of x-men that um uh jerry allen jerry allen Gwilin, um has not been the inker on of love little you he passed away yeah. uh, late last year so um rip jerry uh you will be missed yeah. um but uh so use back on the book after two issues off this is still a one-off tale uh as this, the first six issues have been although this one has about as much big world building stuff as the first issue did um so that's really exciting. So this issue is that we're introduced to Crucible. We're introduced to the, which is the process via which um, mutants who were depowered during M-Day, during House of M, uh, can get their powers back and be killed violently by Apocalypse in an arena and then be resurrected by the Five in lovely, beautiful fashion. Uh, and Nightwing, or not Nightwing, Nightcrawler, decides that the mutants need their own religion. So lots of really fun developments here, tying back to, to Hoxpox, tying into what is coming in the future. Hopefully, I really hope that this thread is picked on, picked up somewhere like very, very soon because I'm very interested in it. Um, but Jake, we'll start with you again. Your thoughts, X-Men number seven, and go. Um, X-Men number seven is the uh, best issue of any x-men since uh uh house of x and powers of 10 has ended that's my opinion i thought it was i thought it was great oh wow okay um, all right all right issue or the best of the entire line the best of the entire line okay um i was like there's only if, seven issues that's not a lot of issues <laughs> well if you do i mean each one of them has been a strong contender for me i think it's been so good but um if you define the best it's just like i can't stop thinking about it i can't stop talking about it i keep on um looking on twitter and on different websites to see um people's reactions and people are still reacting to it and I, this issue was almost a month ago over a month ago now and um about a month ago yeah 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 We've about had another issue of x-men since then yeah yeah, and there's been a sustained month of uh, people thinking about this issue because there's like so much there, and um, we I could talk about the themes and uh, the meaning of the issue for hours and days, but uh, it sounds like we're going to be doing that on the site in written form on uh, multiversitycomics.com. So I'm not going to spend too much time lingering on the themes, but I just thought it was brilliant. I thought it was like meaty and uh, just great character work. There was so much weirdness to it that I loved. And uh, I thought it was thematically like devastating. It, it was excellent. Mm -hmm. I think meaty is a really good way to describe it. Um, and I think I would 
I would I would probably agree that this is the best the best of the line since Hoxpox ended. I think like the fact that it's given it's it's given us so much to think about and it's given a lot of people like so much to think about in like in the weeks to come and has sparked a lot of conversation um, and has like been been something that I've wanted to go back and, and reread and, and, and have uh, since it came out, like I've read it two or three times at this point. Um in a way that was different than the first like six sort of one shotty issues where they were still giving us information insofar as they were telling us about villains that we're going to be seeing in this new universe. But they weren't like, I mean, they were world building, but it was, it was like in little bits. And this was as sort of additive and exciting and new and different since, um, since house of X and powers of 10 ended. Elias, what are you, what are you thinking? I'm thinking many things. I'm thinking, I don't know if I necessarily call it the best, just because I don't want to make a proclamation like that and then uh, have to eat my words. Uh, also because I w- I've been having so much fun with uh, the New Mutant stuff. I don't know. I, I just think that's not something I could get behind. But I understand why, because I also haven't been able to stop thinking about this issue because there's just so much to talk about with it there are so many different layers and ways to approach it and ways to approach the conversation uh and it's probably one of i think this might end up being like one of those issues at the end of the year when we're when we're tallying up all the best issues this might be up there with for me um just because of how much it's getting into well the society is no longer new they've gotten they've started to live in it they've started to to build and so now you have to build the society you have to build the 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 human aspects that are always there and i know the human mutant that kind of what what i'm the personal and the spiritual and the stuff that comes about when you have large groups of people together and what what is built from that uh, like the whole, yeah. and there's so many different things going on in this issue because it opens with not Cyclops. Uh, it opens with Melody. Um, it opens with someone waking up and then looking for coffee, as does X Men number eight, which I wonder if nine is going to open the same way, which is kind of cool. It's uh, the mid morning of X. It's the mid morning of X. Exactly described. Um, yeah. But then we have a conversation of Cyclops and Wolverine, and then we've got a conversation uh, with Cyclops and uh, Doug Ramsey, Cipher. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and then we've got the 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 main crux of the issue, which is uh, Cyclops and Nightcrawler kind of having their their dialogue, their um, didactic encounter. Um, but then we get this whole kind of weird aside with Exodus and uh, and the reframing of a Scarlet Witch, uh, and then we have finally Crucible itself. And so there there are all these different modes that the comic takes us through, and I'm really interested interested to see where Hickman goes from here, what he pulls on, what he continues to develop throughout this book because. He always plays the long game. He always plays things where it may not pay off for another 12 issues. And he makes the journey there interesting enough. I think this is far better than, than like his Avengers New Avengers stuff. Because as, as great as that was, mm-hmm. I think he's got a much better grasp of how to create these long stories that let things drop. Yeah, He, he knows how yeah. to play the serialization better. 
now than he did then, which might also be the the company culture. They're letting him do whatever he wants. And he says, okay, I'm going to make this like uh, a TV show, but good. I, two, two things that you mentioned that I, uh, thought were, I thought were so well handled and just like proof of how rich this text is and how, cause I, I've been getting into internet fights with people about their interpretations of uh, not on purpose. I don't like fighting on the internet as a rule. It's just kind of, I feel passionate. I deleted my, my Twitter recently because I was tired. of You were stronger than us. Yeah. yeah I, that but, was a healthy choice in my opinion. But um, <laughs> uh, one is uh, I've, I've noticed a lot of people who are big fans of the character Scarlet Witch, not a, a an opinion that I share. I, I, I could take or leave Scarlet Witch. Um, hmm. uh, but people who are really big fans and they really don't, they feel like this comic is doing her dirty. And while it's true, um, the characters are doing her dirty. I think that this is, um, you know, if you like a character and you want them to be relevant and you want them to be included in the ongoing story and they're on the bubble in a superhero comic, you got to give them a good conflict. And I feel like this conflict is being set up is so much more interesting than anything Wanda's had in uh, since house of M because we're seeing just like the deep, cultural hatred and scapegoating that's happening and and we like we the readers know that she's a victim but the characters don't and i think that's uh, that's where tension comes from is we're seeing yeah. exodus is telling is teaching children that she's this hateful enemy which we know she's not but it makes sense that this misinformation would be out there and it's also interesting the hypocrisy of mutants who um you, you know are uh, always fighting against um against uh, unfounded bigotry have their own prejudices against this individual in this case, um, and it's misguided. And I think that's so yeah. fascinating. And I, I, I really hope I can see a great conflict coming of that. And if that doesn't happen in this X Men run, like the next time Scarlet Witch gets a solo series, it's going to be uh, she's got so much uh, friction with other characters. I think that's great. If you like Scarlet Witch, you should be a fan of her being positioned uh, to have conflict with characters. That's what keeps characters going. Yeah, and and, because, she's, yeah, and uh, because she's not actually in the comic, this really helps support that. It's not like she's here and she's literally being a boogeyman. She's like, She is a representation of a very specific fear in the mutant community, and that is taking away the things that, by force, not by choice, the things that they are proud of and the things that other people... That, that that they're persecuted for, but that they are proud of. And what she did was she took that away from them without their choice. Now, I mean, the main story is more complicated. Not her choice either. That. It should be important. Um, yeah, not her choice, but right. the way they, they see it, or specifically the way Exodus sees it, and Exodus, son of Apocalypse, has a very specific reason for doing this. I don't think it's just... I don't think Exodus wholeheartedly believes it, but he's definitely... He, he wants to create... A figure like this this devil figure out of the scarlet witch so that it enters the the minds and the mythology of the Krakoan society sure um, yeah well and I, th- I think i think too like it's it's um oh shit i had a whole thing uh, <laughs> sorry no uh, it's okay i mean i think oh going back to okay going back to what like what jake was so i think that i think that's true like i think like it's easy to scapegoat Wanda and it's like easy for these people too. And I fully believe that like Exodus and the other people know that Wanda was not in like full control, but it's, it's just so much easier to sort of indoctrinate or create this mythology in which like, she's the reason that they have to do crucible and, and like, it's just, it's just easy and, and it works. Uh, and I think, I think too, 
in regards to people being mad about Scarlet Witch and the way that she's using the story. Like, I don't know that you should be mad at Hickman. Like, these are the same people that have been mad since House of M, like, did did her real wrong. And it's not Hickman's job to rehabilitate Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in his X-Men run after they've been deemed, like, not mutants. Like, that's not... I don't, I don't know. That seems like a, a dumb, like that seems like a dumb thing to be mad about because like, there's literally nothing. I mean, I guess there are some things he could do, but like, there's, there's not anything for him to do to fix that whole situation. Well, just so. retconning the retcon again would be so weak, right? If they said, Oh, they're a mutant, right. not a mutant, they're a mutant, not a mutant. And then Hickman just flops it again. That's the weakest storytelling yeah. choice. It's much stronger to say, yeah, she's not a mutant. She's a pretender. I mean, like uh, that, that people keep on repeating that, the, that uh, I can't believe he called her the pretender, but it's, it really gets under your skin. And uh, th- that's because yeah. it's, um, it's effective. And the propaganda is effective. Yeah. Exodus is a, is a zealot. He fought in the, in the crusades for uh, the, the kings of France, like uh, this is not a, a rationally thinking guy. He uh, he buys his own bullshit. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to pivot too to something else that um, that Elias said about just like this book starts to to ask a lot of different questions because now the mutants have been governing themselves for a while. And so I wanted I wanted to point out. So first, like in in the recap page and like in the at the very very beginning. Um, the like summary says like the very last sentence is like nothing so incredible comes without a cost. Um, and so this is like the first issue in which not that like the mutants haven't realized already that like having their own nation is going to come with challenges and costs. Like Xavier was murdered in the first issue of, of X-Force. Like they've, they've lived through that. Like this is them beginning to reckon in, internally with what is the cost of, of nationhood and what, what does it mean to be a nation? Um, and like Kurt says at, at one point to to Scott, like when they're talking about what happened on the Quiet Council to go into deciding that Crucible was going to be a thing, he said something along the lines of of ask like of of questioning that they still don't know what's at the center of their government. And so even we have this like religious um, ceremony that gets introduced uh, in Crucible, but it's an outpouring of the like governmental institutions of of Krakoa like it's very much sort of like married in a this is a ritual of the state and this and I think it's so interesting like every sort every nation sort of has like their like their origin story or their like their founding myth or whatever like ours as Americans is like revolution or more sort of realistically it's like slavery and and white supremacy like there are there are different ways to read the origin but like it's it's an like an idea of like of like freedom and liberty and like that's what people talk about when they talk about being american i don't think krakoa has figured out necessarily what like the thing that people talk about when they talk about krakoa i think the rest of the world has and it's like they're scared shitless but like it struck me um like this issue and like thinking about past x-men stories and thinking about this and then thinking about like what crucible is that like what's at the center of of like mutantum and like Krakoa is like is like is trial and like fighting and like that's what's at the center of the mutant government that's why it's just a group of 12 people that are vastly different that are going to argue with each other and that's why they can set up a ritual like this that's like all about uh, instrumentalizing like fighting and like fighting for your right as a mutant fighting to like be more mutant like and fighting to sort of regain your like own subjectivity or your own like mutant dumb once you show that you can behave like a mutant and i like 
in all aspects, like the religious part of the issue, I'm like endlessly fascinated by as somebody who is in grad school. So studying religion would talk about that for days, but like even to the ways that it's tied to like the government stuff, it's tied to like who the X-Men are. And then it's tied to this wider arc of where, where the mutants are. I think the way that it was weaved throughout the issue was as fascinating as the, the idea of this ritual and the idea that, that Nightcrawler is going to go be the mutant Pope. Well, and that, that connects to the other thing I really loved about this issue. The other thing I wanted to touch upon, which is um, I have been a little bit uh, weirded out by the characterization of Nightcrawler so far since uh, House mm. of X. Not that he's been mischaracterized. He's just had, he's had small moments here and there. But when you see who's sitting on the Quiet Council, um, Nightcrawler's the one who really sticks out to me as um, a big question mark because a big part of Nightcrawler's uh, arc for as long as he's been around is that he's not really leadership material. Uh, every time he tries to lead the X-Men or Excalibur, it's usually a disaster. He's a really great, you know, he's a great support and a great friend, and he's definitely one of the most quintessential X-Men, but he's never really a successful team leader, so having him in the government felt so weird to me. And then since he's been on the government, you see how the different mutants are asserting themselves, but uh, Nightcrawler has seemed so um, introspective since Krakoa came about. And this issue was about that journey of him figuring out what leadership means to him. And that's my, and this is a, not an interpretation I'm seeing a lot of, but to me, it's my favorite part of the issue is that Nightcrawler has taken Krakoa and resurrection and all the religious implications. And he's been like looking within and he's been going off and praying and meditating and trying to figure out what it all means. And, and then he sees this ritual, this, this, this like frankly pretty disturbing ritual led by a immortal psychopath who uh, de facto has taken over the spiritual health of this island. And he's like, yeah. oh shit, I need to step up and also be a member of this council. Apocalypse is being a leader and Apocalypse is molding uh, the young mutants. And uh, if I just spend all my time praying in a room by myself, then Apocalypse is going gonna, is gonna to rule the soul of this nation. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think like it showcases not only his sort of um, deep seated like religiosity of like, I'm really struggling with this, but also like leadership for, I think, Nightcrawler in this situation is like being like the mutant philosopher or like the mutant sort of like theologian. I think like every good, picking backing on what I say, like every good nation or every good state or every good movement like needs like good texts or good voices or good arguments or good questions. Um, and being the person that is guiding the other people and how they're asking the questions seems really, really important in like a, a society where everything is so novel and so new and so different from the way that all of these people lived their lives um, before they came to, to the Island. So yeah, I dug, I dug Nightcrawler in this issue. I have no problems with his characterization although i will say i have much less attachment to all of these characters um because i've read much less x-men books than the majority of the people that would yell at me on the internet um <laughs> but but i think that like having having hickman craft nightcrawler as like this new sort of mutant like leader like intellectual leader or spiritual leader um that's really dope and i would like totally buy that book if it ever comes out actually that I would, I would look forward to that strongly on my official ranking of 160 X-Men characters from best to worst. Nightcrawler is number two. Mm, okay. Ah. So you really like Nightcrawler. Yeah. I think Nightcrawler 
is uh, really embodies the core of what X Men is all about. Okay, super okay. rad with a sword. Yeah, yeah. So, and he's got a sword. Sword. swords. Yeah, and swords. And swords. Sword watch. Nightcrawler's got one. Sword watch, baby. Um, cool, cool. Uh, well, any other final X Men thoughts? No, this we, should, we should probably get a uh, get going. We got two more in there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can talk yeah. about this issue forever, but I want to talk it's about a, the yeah. This is a great, it's a great I, issue. I literally have written three thousand words on this issue alone. Yeah. I look forward to the to the the dissertations and the academic articles to come. Uh, moving on. Oh, yeah. um, so next up, we're going to be talking about the first issue of the giant size X Men one shots that are coming out. So this is a Jean Grey Emma Frost issue. All of them are going to be written by Hickman. This one, obviously, written by Hickman as well. Illustrated by Russell Dodderman and Matt Wilson, and then lettered by Clayton Cowles. Um, I think I I don't know if I said X Men Seven was lettered by Clayton Cowles, but it was. A lot of books we're talking about it were lettered by Clayton Cowles. Clayton Cowles is great. Um, he's he does too many books. He just does all the books. He's just a great letter. Um, yeah. He didn't have to do a whole lot of work for this one because there's not a lot of letters. Um, <laughs> So X-Men or uh, giant size X-Men number one is a um, uh, an homage issue to, is it new mutant new X-Men 121? Is that right? I'm uh, trying to find the number right now, but I think that's right. Okay. So, so yes, 121, 121. Yeah. It was one of, it was not the, of, it's the beginning of the third arc, I believe, or it's the transition yeah. between the second and third arcs. Yeah. Yeah. I read, I read, I've read all this recently. I've read, I've read this issue. I feel like I know things that feels so good. Um, <laughs> it feels good, right? It, it feels so good. I know the X-Men. Fuck man. This is what everybody on the internet feels like. I should do this more often. But like, that's uh, one of the things I love about X-Men is it's like such a, it's so, it's like literary in this way that other comics aren't. And it's got this like yeah. rich history you can draw yeah. upon. And it's a, it's almost a, it's coherent and it's incoherence because it's a, it's a whole fucking mess. But like the famous moments are so good and so yeah. easy to pay tribute to. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. you've got all those just batshit insane moments. Yeah. And usually so, those are the same moments. And oh, it's, it's all just all happening at the same time. So this is the homage of uh, New X Men One Twenty One by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. It was a silent issue in the midst of uh, Morrison's run, where Jean and Emma go into Xavier's mind to look, f- basically, to like figure out why he's in this coma because he's been. Cassandra Kane has started to take him. Cassandra uh, Nova. Cassandra Kane. Cassandra Nova. Cassandra Kane is a is a Batman character. Um, Cassandra Kane is from the direct competition. <laughs> sorry, folks. A lot of Cassandras. Uh, Cassandra Nova. Um, so, so this issue, almost like panel by panel, the characters involved um, different aspects, like homages that comic uh, completely. And it looks, and it's it's most a mostly silent issue. There's some words at the beginning and, and words at the end. There's some words written in Krakoan in the middle. I don't know if Clayton did those or if Dodderman did, but um, yeah, uh, I thought this issue worked really, really well as an homage. I think Russell Dodderman is one of, if not the best comic book artists in the industry right now. Um, and him and Matt Wilson just produce beautiful work every time that they do things together. Uh, and I thought this issue was like really, really dope, but uh, Elias will go, we'll go to you first. And then Jake, what did you think about, about this silent issue? It was a feast for the eyes, um, but I don't really know why we yeah. needed this issue. Sure. Uh, th- that that's 
I know I, I asked that about Wolverine and I say that a lot, but I got to the end of the issue and I went, okay, cool. But if this is just a series of one shots and each one shot's probably going to homage a different issue, why? Like yeah. what's what's the purpose behind these? How does it fit into the rest? And it's beautiful and it's it's kind of it was remind me, was Storm one of the people who went into the um the vault. She didn't, go into, the vault. she didn't go into the vault, but she was one of the mutants um, who were fighting the children of the vault while Laura and the other two were trying to sneak in. Okay, so, um, so she tries to open then, the door to the vault, and then she gets like blasted by the door, and that's their first line of defense. And that's yeah. when they start sending everybody else in. So apparently, that blast is what infected her with whatever this crazy thing machine is. virus. The machine yeah. virus. Yeah, okay. and I, I I get that too. I will say we know now that the last uh, one shot in the series is a storm one shot, and it's going to be Hickman, Dodderman, and Wilson again. Um, ah, but I, I I hear your point because I did get to the end of this issue, and it was like, oh, I kind of thought this was going to be a one and done thing. And Hickman said it. I so I was on. I went to the X Men panel at C two E two where they announced Ten of Swords, and Hickman was talking about the the X Men or the giant says X-Men one shots. And he was just saying he kind of, he had a list of artists that he wanted to work with. He got some of them together. He asked them who they wanted to draw and what kind of story they wanted to tell. Um, and so I don't know that every, these, so the, the books are being written more Marvel style. I don't know that every issue will be an homage of an earlier or classic X-Men story. Um, but I gotcha. think, and he did say that they sort of have like a loose story that they're trying to tell over all of them. So I imagine by the end of the storm one shot in June that storm will be cured or will be fine. And I think that these will have minimal impact on the larger line. Cause he had also said too, that they had looked at doing, at doing them as like some kind of annual um, and, and annuals can, you know, can either be like important, really, really important story, like necessary story or like stories that are tacked on because why the hell not? spend five dollars yeah. um and i think this is going to be more more of the latter but i think they're going to be fun they can often be a fun one and done yeah. but that's at a longer yeah longer page i think so i think i think they're going to be really really fun i don't know if they'll have like larger impact they might all be kind of like this and just be like uh, homagey or like an excuse f- to like work with some really fun artists who get to work with characters that they don't usually get to work with but in this case like I, I just like was reading this, and I, I didn't even have those thoughts because, and so, and and I am one who has those thoughts often. Like you, and like, why is this important? Why are we reading this? And I was just like, I love looking at this book, and it's great. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah, I can I keep actually... looking at this book over and over again, and that's literally what I'm doing now, just kind of scrolling yeah. through the pages. Yeah, me too. Doubterman, I want Doubterman on more of these books. Give him an Emma Frost book written by Leigh Williams. Let's go. Oh God, yeah, please. I want I want Dodderman to get a a book in this line after that one. Sh- like I hope that he's working on a book, like a new a new Same. ongoing. Yeah, I mean he's doing the covers, which is yeah just as good. Yeah, his covers are amazing. His covers are good. All right, Jake, I want to I want to get you in here. Yeah, I was going to say, I think uh, my I, I I felt what both of you were saying. My opinion matches with both of you, if that's possible, because 
<laughs> I had my expectation going into this, and I was very surprised, and I was kind of cool to the issue the first time I read it. I mean, it's hard to be cool to the Dauterman art because it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Yeah. But I was really hoping for an issue that um, explored Jim and Emma's relationship because yeah it's great and uh they're one of the they have one of the coolest relationships of any x-men characters and then um and then I, and at least at first glance it didn't really seem to be about that and i could i picked up pretty quickly that it was a tribute to uh new x-men 121 which is a classic issue uh but i was feeling what elias was feeling like but why and yeah. then once i realized it'd be a series of uh it's like a loosely connected series kind of probably maybe having to do with curing storm of this virus but really just being an excuse to do like an artist showcase of all these different artistic styles i went back in and um i really liked it uh, my second time through the fact that it was an homage is fun because that's a fun issue to homage um and like there's a bunch of really really great parallels like there's one panel in issue 121 where uh, Wolverine and uh, Cyclops are sitting on opposite sides of a hallway and Wolverine's reading a book and they're waiting for Emma and Jean to finish with yeah. their psychic rescue. And in this issue, there's a, almost an identically framed panel, but now Wolverine and Scott are almost like cuddling. They're right next to each other in the hallway yeah. and Wolverine yeah. is sniffing a flower. And it's just like uh, the juxtaposition between the, the two stories is, a, you know, it tells a story within itself of how much has changed. And that's great. That's like so cool. <laughs> um. But yeah, I'm just uh, I once I got over my initial surprise that it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, I kind of decided to let go of having any expectations. That's yeah, yeah, I love that she that Jean walks in with 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 Scott and then oh, no. she like kisses Wolverine. Yeah, which cheek. is not how the and that, that's another parallel, and that's not how it went down the first time they did it. Um, but the the reason I don't share Elias's uh, trepidation is because um. Once I was so shocked by what this first issue was, I was just like, all right, all expectations are going out the window. Each one of these could be anything. I can't possibly predict where this is going, and I'm just going to be along for the ride. And uh, once I kind of let go a little bit, I had a great time with it. And now I'm very excited for each artist to just do their thing. Yeah. It could have also been more giant-sized. It could have been gianter. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so Hickman is really into, and I think about this a lot, um, about using, he's like uh, using different parts of the comic to tell a story that other uh, creators don't necessarily consider or think about, like uh, the number of pages something is or the way it's published. It like it's weird that um, he did that. Hoxpox was two miniseries that you had to read alternatingly. Why not just make it one twelve issue mm -hmm. series, right? And he he uh, he uses that aspect of comics to make a statement. And then it, it ends up organizing itself, right? Like, you, it, you, it forces you to ask the question, what's the difference between the House of X issues and the Powers of Ten issues? So I like that this is doing something similar where I feel like he's trying to make some sort of statement by making each of these artist-driven one-shots that are called giant-sized, but they're all telling – they're all clearly one series, but they all have number one after them. And usually that's just like comic publisher bullshit, but I feel like Hickman is kind of uh, saying something about the comic publisher bullshit. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I guess it's coming down to more of I wanted more of, of Gene and Emma. Like, why is this Gene and Emma's issue? Like, what is it about – their friendship or their animosity and this might be because i don't really know their history and mm -hmm. so the issue i don't know the significance of 
the the moments in the the series or, or the moments in the issue that are clearly kind of the the reconciliation them reaching for each other and i don't know if that's like amazing because they've never done this before or if it's just yeah they're decent friends and they've always been and this is and they're just different personalities you've got the aloof emma with her half gloves and you've got gene who's a lot more straightforward hero i'm i mean i think like i i think like because i and correct me jake if i'm wrong like in new in the issue that this homage is like they are much more indifferent to each other and that's like it's before like because scott and gene are having problems in their marriage and this is like before Scott and Emma start having their psychic affair, like they've gone through a lot over the last, you know, 20 years or whatever. And so I think like, I, I don't know as much about their relationship as I wish that I did, but I think this issue like sells so much of that in all of the ways that the Dotterman draws like facial expressions and everything like Dotterman's a great artist, but I think this is the most emotional that I've seen his art, or at least like, since I'm remembering, like I need to go back and reread his early Thor stuff with Aaron, um, like War of the Realms felt less emotional and more just like Dodderman doing epic. But this is like so mighty. The death of the mighty Thor had a lot of, I yeah, think, had that's true. Some You're of right. You're right. Stuff. You're right. Um, I I cried reading that. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like the the quick glances, the like the the like the knowing looks like when when emma like takes a drink out of her flask and gene kind of like rolls her eyes at her or when like they're conjuring up what their relationship to storm is and like gene does like their friends and emma does like we fight and stuff like all <laughs> of all of that even and like gene's like le- like level of protection still over over emma but still like there's a sense of like animosity and like they're very different people who have like a very rich like i feel like all of that is portrayed in like the facial expressions in in the art and although i i don't know as much of that as i wish that i did um like i think that you get i think that you get that like if you spend enough time like taking like taking it all in cuz this could just be like a really quick read um uh, but it doesn't have to be uh, but I think, mm-hmm. I think in that sense, I mean, like, I think you could level at this issue, the same level of critique that we've leveled at a lot of the, the Don of X stuff It's like, things are moving too slow. There's not enough giving me the information that I want. I got to keep reaching for things. Um, and, and that'll all come. But like, once I realized that that's not what these issues were going to be, I was like, oh, this is, this is good. This is what I, this is good. Yeah. Give it to me slower. I say, I, I was just like, give it to me slower. I like how slow everything's going too often with Marvel. They just, um, they introduce a status quo and then they, uh, have a mini series and then it's the next status quo. And, just getting all this time to really sit in the emotions and how the characters are feeling and relating to each other and their situation is uh, such a nice change and it makes it feel like a real book that you're reading and not just uh, this like rip roaring meaningless series of things happening. And I think you really nailed it, Gina and Emma. Well, speaking of new status quo, uh, our last book in this state of X uh, serial is not like serial, like, you eat cereal, but like cereal. Anyway, whatever. Um, is the first issue of the newly relaunched Ooh. Cable book, written by Jerry Duggan, illustrated by Phil Noto. 
and lettered by Joe Sabino. This is the first ongoing book for uh, Young Sexy Cable, for Kid Cable. Um, young Sexy Kid Cable gets an ongoing book. And, and dial-up, as we yes, call him. Yes, dial-up cable. Um, <laughs> dial-up cable. I love dial-up. Uh, uh, and and he's a lot different than the old, old grizzled, pouch-filled cable. Um, he's only got one pouch. Uh, He's only got one pouch and he's got a big fucking sword. Uh, sword watch 2020. Join us on Ultraverse. Anyway, uh, so we're going to dive into into cable. Um, and Jake, we'll go to you first. What were your dial up cable thoughts? Were you surprised? Were you excited? I was not excited going in and I was surprised and I loved it. I did not believe how good much I loved it. I also, um, I want to. Noto was what was selling. Phil Noto is what yeah. was selling me on this book because I really like Phil Noto's art, um, and he seems like kind of a weird fit for this uh, book. And I so I thought that would be cool, but uh, Jerry Duggan doing Cable didn't make me feel anything. And guys, I gotta say we have to stop doubting Jerry Duggan. Jerry Duggan is killing it, and I think part of that is uh, he got this Deadpool stench that yeah. is hard to wash off when you do Deadpool for ten years. He, you know, he really becomes a Deadpool guy, and you just think he's going to do these uh, like uh, yeah. jokey light books. But uh, yeah. I was looking back at his uh, Marvel uh, bi- uh, bibliography; he's got a bunch of uh, great books in there. But his X Men stuff has been definitely his best. I still love Marauders. Every issue kills me in a new way, and this first issue of Cable was such a delight. I loved it from the second they had this like mutant dueling ring and it gave you everybody stats and it was like a sport. I, that was just like hilarious and delightful. I liked that it was like uh, weirdly sexy and polyamorous where Cable was going on a date with uh, two uh, uh, with two ladies and yep. he had like a bunch more dates lined up. I uh, like it. It seems pretty queer to me and I want it to get even queerer and I'm hoping that it does. And um, I like the big fucking sword. Yeah. He's got a date with two ladies. He's got a date with five twins next issue. Five twins. Five twins. All the cuckoos. Yeah. Five five tuplet. um, And uh, I guess uh, something that Elias and I were talking about this, and I've been thinking about this in the context of a lot of the X-Men stuff, is there's been a lot of subtext. And um, I understand, and I I even... um, I'm sympathetic to the idea mm. that subtext is like a more cowardly way to um, uh, to do stuff than uh, to come out and say things flat out. But also, like, good flirting is all in the subtext, and X-Men feels kind of flirty to me, and I like it. I like uh, that it's not uh, outright stating things, and I like that it's uh, it's hinting and it's winking. Mm. Like, it feels uh, it feels intimate in this way, and I like that the cable issue was like that. And then there was a big fucking sword. Yep. I mean, yep, there has to be a big fucking sword. You got to set up X yeah, swords. There's got to be ten swords. No, 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 no. The X. The X there's got to be X sword. No, the X. The Roman X. Revolution, Elias. First, you have you have all of these swords in <laughs> a giant X, and then as you deconstruct the X, you get ten swords. That's how it works. You and then deconstruct <laughs> deconstructionist <laughs> postmodern bullshit. Um, I didn't. Ex- I didn't expect the Space Knights to come in. That I'm was pretty so rad. Excited. I mean, we might be following up on the Yondu miniseries then, because they were uh, uh, Space Knights were there, and that's I think where oh. we first got to see them back in the in the Marvel universe. I guess since 
I don't want to say since Rom was gone, but for a while. Uh, Hickman references his own work here. The, uh, he killed a whole bunch of Space Knights in the Builder War in the Infinity event. Oh, shit. That happened in yeah, Infinity? Did. Dude, I read that? that like four times, and I don't know what happened in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Morrison and yeah. Final Crisis. It only yeah. works if you've read the other stuff, and even then you just throw up your hands and say, okay, whatever. How does it continue? Throw my hands up, playing my song. Butterflies fly. Um, speaking of butterflies, I love that Pixie was in this, and I love that Armor was in this. They're two of my favorite underserved uh, mutant characters, and um, they were super fun in this issue, and they got to use their powers in fun ways. Um, I uh, yeah, I like that we followed up with uh, that kid uh, Fauna from the very first issue of House of X. That this is the first time he's come back in any significant way, and um, I, I guess to say something more substantive, um, I haven't liked Dial Up. A version of Cable since he was introduced. I feel like the grizzled aspect of Cable is really important to me liking him. He's like a dad, and um, that's important to him, right? Like, it, it, since he appeared, his first appearance when he's relating to the New Mutants, he seems really gruff, and like he's gonna be this, like, abusive drill sergeant kind of guy, and then he, you find that he saw, he, he's like a big softie. That's, that's the joy of Cable, is that He's like tough love, but he's really supportive, and he he listens to his students in this way that Professor X and Magneto never do. But that's also like a Cable was uh, originally positioned as the third option. You got Professor X and you got Magneto, and then Cable was uh, the third major mentor figure. And and then there was the wonderful story, which is still one of my favorites, of him to traveling through time with his daughter Hope, and uh, they they do a, a lone wolf and cub pastiche. And that's really great, too. That's a, a soft version of Cable where he's like your hard dad who really cares for you. So taking all of that away, I, I didn't really it's, understand. It's soft Cable. Left. You know, it's like like Cinemax Cable. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Yeah, it turns out that that's Ooh. a uh, that's a code name that leads to an ungodly number of puns. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I uh, But... um. So this was the issue that made, that sold me a little bit on what this version of Cable is about, and he's the character. And also, I since Kid Cable came in, so he kills the version of Cable I liked. So he's that Strike One. He was in that X Four series, which um, wait I had, what? Oh fuck! <laughs> yeah, he, that, his first appearance is uh, he kills his older self <laughs> and replaces him in the Marvel Universe. And I like old Cable, so. That was a bummer for me. Then he's in that X-Force series, which I had mixed feelings on, and he didn't really uh, show... It wasn't a great showing for him. And then he's been such a jerk in all the uh, X-Men issues he's appeared in uh, in Dawn of X. Like in uh, issue three, I think it was, where he uh, gives the grenade to the, the mm-hmm. creature when it explodes and it triggers all the conflict, and you're just like, what's the point of you, Cable? All you do is uh, accidentally blow up potential allies and make a mess. Um, and he, and didn't... he might or may not have been in Fallen Angels. I don't know. I couldn't see anything in that series. Yeah, Paul didn't acquit himself well in Fallen Angels. And then in this, he's um, he's so thirsty to prove himself, and he's so excited to be here in Krakoa with the mutants in this time period. And you can't help but get excited too. Like uh, he's on and the... he's just thirsty he's in general. general. Right. And the books are so thirsty, and so uh, seeing like what it would be like to be. Uh, sexy teen on the sex island is like is really fun. And it's seeing, Love uh, Island. It's Bachelor in Paradise. But we've got it. We figured it yeah. out. We've I cracked keep on the looking at the code. GIF of Joe Bluth at Arrested Development saying, uh, 
Uh, well, check yourself, buddy, because you just moved into Fuck City. <laughs> <laughs> See, but I, I want to push back on your subtext thing. Yeah, please. I, yeah. I don't believe because uh, I I don't believe that subtext is the coward's way. I think that subtext is important and it's almost vital for creating any story that has depth. But I do think that X Men has and and especially now that we had the very direct and very textual make more mutants decree and have had very little textual reference to any of that is mind blowing. Like there should be something. There should be more. There should be more text in addition to the subtext, the subtext, which deepens the text. We're not getting any of that. We've got speculation, but we've got nothing confirmed on any of the any of the relationships that aren't a already established or b not queer. Like we don't. I don't think we have a single canon queer relationship in the Dawn of X books. Apparent. There might be someone in uh, Excalibur. I'm behind on that one. But we speculate that there are a lot, and we know that there are queer characters on the island. But I, I, I don't think we have any, or any newer one. Uh, the new queer relationship, if I can, the one I can definitely think of is Iceman and Christian Frost. What book was that in? That was in Marauders. Ah. They've okay, had a flirtation before uh, Dawn of X, and now they. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Um, it seems like monogamy is not really a thing on Krakoa, but uh, they've been together. They've been going on dates. They've been. But that's another kissing. thing. Like we don't really know. We're kind of speculating, but we don't see anyone leaving. We don't see anyone leaving a house after a night out. We don't see anyone really like actually going through relationship or sex or any of this stuff. We've got Cable doing his flirty thing, but. That could just be because he's supposed to be Mr. Action Man, and Mr. Action Man always flirts with whoever he's stuck with. So I don't know. I'm I'm I I, I question the commitment to the weird and the sexy and the I guess I've been I've been re I've been listening to old uh multi multiversity this podcast. <laughs> Clearly, I'm awake. I've been listening to old episodes, and uh, I I I guess I will channel james johnson and saying uh where's the weird kink make 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 mutants kinky again. i think that we're when so i don't 100 percent buy that the subtext stuff is the coward's way out although i do with a status quo like make more mutants and with as many like flirtatious relationships you would think that there would be some more of what you're saying elias uh like i do i do agree with that although i think that we're vastly underestimating how like fucky marvel comics have been for the last like however many years i mean i know like people bone and that's a whole thing and people get married and people have like committed relationships and stuff but there's like not a whole lot of in panel or in comic like like sex that ha- like that happened like we pick up like on the aftermath of sex or we're like hinted at like people do have sex or whatever like i think we're kind of past the like things being like really fucky in a in a this is for teenage boys but really men kind of like being really horny. i didn't i didn't even mean like no no yeah yeah it, i'm not saying even referencing yeah. it after. yeah but i think like i think too um so so yeah i think i think and i think like it's implied that everybody is just having sex with everyone um whether we're seeing that or not or whether we're being told that i think in some ways uh like like the idea of of polyamory while not historically new 
I think that we're at this level, like societally, where like the idea of of polyamory is like kind of new and and this that, and the other. And so like for people, because like comics are for kids, and like X Men comics are mostly you know like for teens and, and young adults. So for people to be like introduced, I was gonna say, are they really? Are they really? Though? Yeah, nowadays. no, yeah. They don't seem to treat it that yeah, way. No, I think I, not for many years have X Men been. Produced. Yeah, I think like the, the idea though that people are being introduced to the idea that that people can be like polyamorous and that be like healthy and fun and normal, like that seems like a step in the right direction. And so not to be like an incrementalist, mm-hmm. I think, but I think that there are things happening here that are not like, oh, these people need to have sex because they're clearly flirting or like, why don't we know that these people are in a relationship? Like, I think that the, the fact that like these are new themes and they're being introduced and they're tying into like um, different like societal advancements and different, um, you know, things that are like, I think there's, there's things happening that are not necessarily all the things that people want, but I think they're so good that's happening, even if we're not seeing mm-hmm. all of it. And I, Elias, I largely agree with you. The The quality that's making me enjoy this is really ineffable, so I've been having trouble articulating it, but it just feels so fun to me. Um, it feels if, so fun. Yeah, you're right. If, yeah. If, uh, if there was just like a paragraph where uh, somebody exposited like what everybody's relationship status was and then we just like cut to uh, them kissing and waking up in bed and everything, that would be fun in a different way because uh, like it's giving us or data. A data sure. Or a data page. Yeah, or a data page, or like a yeah, like, give us a data page. Uh, sinister gossiping about it. I got with Forge or something. That's not, yeah. I, I could yeah, like, 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 like tally marks or something, or you know, yeah, yeah, or like uh, people are making like hookup chains to see uh, like who's on the booty chain with who. There's like a lot of yeah. There's a million fun ways you could do this, but I just like I can't explain. I'm just having so much fun. Spec. It feels like um, it's half soap opera and it's half just like gossiping about all your messy friends who are all hooking up with each other. And can you believe that so-and-so yeah. is hooking up with who, but are they hooking up? And I just like, uh, it's really scratching this itch that I didn't realize I had. And it's like, it feels so good. And I can't explain why. And I really, really hope that um, I am, th- I'm putting it down now, guys. Here's my theory that we're going to get an X-Men swimsuit issue as part of Dawn of X. <laughs> I was thinking that too the other day. I really hope Let's it happens. It. Yeah. 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 They go to Chandler and yeah. And we get to Scott and Espito. Yeah. Please, please for the love of God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Y'all have said a lot of good things about this issue. I don't need to add a whole lot. I really, really enjoyed this issue. Um, I was not like super into young cable, but like now I'm very into young cable. The one thing that we haven't talked about throughout this whole discussion is uh, the last couple pages where old grizzled old cable. cable shows up. Um, and so I'm wondering what y'all think about about that. The fact that we um, are in, we're finally making good use of this new status quo of having a young cable, but then we're introduced to old grizzled cable again. Does that bother you? Is that exciting? Is that something like? Do you hope that they'll exist side by side one day? Where are you at? I can take or leave old grizzled cable. So. I had no thoughts either way other than, oh, hey, he's back, yeah. and he's shooting giant flaming crabs. Okay. I'm down to see more of that. Okay, old, yeah, old I didn't really have got, much more thoughts on Cable's got that. crabs. Uh, Jake, what, uh, what do you uh, think? It's from all that fucking he did in his younger exactly. days. I think time travel, baby. Before. When you got time travel, you can have as many Ooh, oh, as many yeah. versions as you want, guys, right? Yep, yep, yep. So it's just like a... Yep. You should still use condoms, I'm traveling. And um, that crab that Cable was shooting seems uh, uh, that uh, crab that Cable was shooting seems uh, 
there was a connection to Inferno, which they keep on um, referencing. So just like Inferno Watch, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll 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 turn on Inferno Watch right after Sword Watch. Our watch ends, and now our watch has ended. Oh yeah, we yeah, can have two watches, one on each arm. Yeah, I'm double watching, double watching it. Got my watch on my phone. Got my watch on my wrist. One's counting my steps. One's connecting me to everyone in the world. Whatever you know. Okay, yeah. I think that I think that makes sense. The the Inferno stuff, especially especially because Hellions coming out um, next week has also had a lot of uh, Inferno teases. Oh hell um, yeah! So I'm, that might be yeah. a story that we're revisiting. Um, well, cool. Well, cool. Well, folks, that is the state. Well, no, okay. One more question. One more question. Um, uh, what have y'all thought about this rollout of of Wave Two? Are you more excited about where the books are now than you were when wave one rolled out? Are you equally excited or do you have more that you're looking forward to? Uh, where are you at? I am more excited now than I was at the beginning, especially because uh, some of the other books are actually going monthly instead of uh, three times a month. Yes. Yeah. Kind of ridiculous. I still think it would have been nice to have the, the wave two come a little bit later so that we could, continue to sink a little bit more into the world and also so that it's easier for people to you know kind of keep up with dawn of x in general but i guess i don't know with 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 cable being pretty you know a really solid issue and the giant says x-men being kind of a fun strange experiment uh i'm more excited for the books that are coming out now than i was couple months ago when we first were talking about it uh like i want to know what's going to be up with helians what what that's going to bring to the table because we've got a better idea of what krakoa is like i don't know it's it's kind of hard to to make a real decision until i read the books at some point it's it's definitely gonna start to collapse under its own weight unless all these books are like major hot sellers in which case Keep pumping up books, Marvel. Support your bottom line. Yeah. This is about the same amount of X books they were publishing before like they scrapped everything too. So I think um they're like they've worked themselves back up to the same level. I think that I am far more excited about what is coming right now than I was when things were announced, and especially after the first couple issues of the launch of like Wave One. Um not that like everything in Wave One was not that there was not that wave one was overwhelmingly bad. Like I'm not saying that, um, but like especially in the first issues, there were a lot more duds for me. And in the like, it just it the all those books took themselves a long time to sort of like ramp. Most of them took a little bit of time to ramp up. Like even the main X Men title took some time to ramp up. X Force took some time to ramp up. Fallen Angels was not overall not great. Um, and like Marauders, I didn't like the first issue, but everything after that has been stuff that I've loved. So I think everything that's coming now uh, are things that like I'm genuinely invested in. Like I really want to know where Marauders and Excalibur are going. I'm excited that X-Men is becoming more of like they're entering a first like actual like true arc, like a multi-issue arc that started with issue eight. It's about the time to Empire, which I'm like, you know, whatever about, but like that's like exciting. Um, and like, I'm super excited about X factor and children of the atom and 10 of swords. Um, 
Jake, what are you thinking? State of X, where you're, where's your headspace at? I see it a little bit differently than you guys. Not that I disagree with anything you said. Uh, just for me, it feels like um, uh, the the initial rollout of Dawn of X was like you're starting a new relationship and you're in the honeymoon phase and everything is just so exciting. And now this wave two rollout feels a little bit like um, you're getting into a groove and um, like the initial uh, just like shock and magic is wearing off. But what I'm finding is that like, I really like it and um, I'm, I'm comfortable with what this X line looks like. And I'm, it's a little bit more stable now that uh, the books aren't just coming out every single week. Uh, and we're getting like a monthly releases and um, it's like the, the joy of stability and finding out that you like this relationship as much when everything is like normal and stable as you did at the very beginning when everything was new and shiny. So I'm really, uh, wave two feels really different than wave one to me, but um, it's a good difference and I like it. Yeah, that's that's a good way of looking at it. Like this is, I feel like we're getting a lot more like hearty, like meaty stuff now mm-hmm. in, in some ways. Um, and like, that's good. You know, like in a relationship, you you want like stuff that's going to like continue like to sustain the relationship. And I'm like still very excited about like all these books um, in a way that, over the last however many years I've been reading comics, I've never been excited about X stuff. So, so I think that's that's a fair point. Uh, well, folks, that has been the state of X for this podcast. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to f- spend some time talking about the other big books that Marvel put out in the month of, art, month, month of March and another big status quo change that is coming. So we will see you then. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we're back, folks, for this second part of the episode. We're going to be taking a look at some of the uh, new number ones that Marvel put out for the month of March. Uh, and then the last number one is the first one shot that is launching this brand new status quo. So we're going to take on Spider-Woman number one first, and then we're going to look at Strange Academy number one, which launched at the beginning of this month. And then finally, we're going to take a look at Outlawed number one, the one shot um, from eViewing and Kim Jacinto that is launching the Outlawed status quo that's spinning out into the Champions relaunch that Ewing herself is writing and to a number of other books. Um, So we're going to start with Spider-Woman number one, uh, written by Carla Pacheco. This is her first, I think, first uh, ongoing book for Marvel. She's done some one-shots for them and then some other creator-owned and licensed work at other companies. So written by Carla Pacheco, illustrated by Perry Perez. Um, For the first story, there's a backup story that was illustrated by Paolo Siquiera and inked by Oren Jr., and then both of those were colored by Frank Dermata and lettered by Travis Lanham. Um, this is a bit of a, not a, a different take on Jess, but a new take on her. So, you know, most recently, uh, Jessica Drew has been a mom and a private detective in the uh, Dennis Hopeless Hallam and Javier Rodriguez run. 
And now she's back to being in costume, still doing mom things, still doing superhero things, still doing a little bit of everything. And she's got a brand new suit, which we make fun of on page one. So, uh, Elias, we'll start with you. Uh, what were your thoughts on this first issue of the new Spider-Woman book? Um, have you read a lot of Spider-Woman things? Are you into Spider-Woman? So this is the first Spider-Woman comic I've ever read. Um, I never read, I, I didn't read the Dennis Hopeless Hallam stuff. Um, I always kind of meant to, but just never checked it out of the library. Uh, and uh, I have a story about that, uh, but I'll get to that in a minute. Uh but yeah, I, I mean, I I thought the the first issue was serviceable. Um, I didn't it didn't light light anything on fire. Uh, I I really serviceable liked... is not high praise, but no <laughs> no it's not. But like, I'm not gonna knock these. It's okay, fine. It's better than serviceable, but I okay. I it didn't give me any feeling like i wasn't like wow i need to read the next issue uh i mean the last page was gorgeous and that was the only page that actually made me want to read the next issue which i guess in true brian k vaughn fashion is the whole point of the final page splash page but um the rest of it was just kind of i don't know it was, it was okay um there was a lot of heavy use of shadows, and I didn't particularly love it. I, I don't think Perry Perez is a great artist when it comes to dark shadows. He works really well in the light, and a lot of the issue is, but every time they tried to lean into that like heavy uh, fighting darkness style, it, it, it didn't work. Yeah, it's, it's weird. I mean... Jessica vomiting up uh, green poison goo was certainly shocking. It was okay. Yeah. It was an action yeah. title. Uh, the backup story, I really didn't like that. That's where Strike Force was, and I don't know what the point of this. It was. It was to give us a new new costume, I guess. But it's okay. I like the idea. Of, I like the idea of having two stories. I I like this. That's why I like the way Wolverine played out, at least in that way. Because there were two, I like the the idea of two stories that tell, if not similar things, but but um, more. Um, and was this first issue also more expensive than a regular issue? Because I believe it, had, it was it was four ninety nine. God yeah. fucking damn it! That's <laughs> too expensive for a single issue. And for a Spider Woman really issue, do, that like that is. Yeah. selling the yeah. premise i don't know what the, the solicit for this issue was but if it was anything more than jessica drew's got a new new life she gotta make some money let's see what happens when she's on a boat protecting a bunch of rich people if it was yeah. anything more than that uh i will be real frustrated because then i don't remember what it, karen gillen had a whole a whole thing about how for, what first issue should do and i think this was a decent enough first issue but maybe it should have been just a, a self-contained story i think that would have benefited this better if there wasn't that weird mystery pushing it on even though that was the only mm -hmm. thing that makes me want to read the next issue yeah well <laughs> i think it's enough. i think it's interesting that you say that because i think that i agree with you that the backup story was more at least at least more interesting than the first than the the main story of the book um and like explains the cliffhanger, uh, which I don't know, the first part of the story felt like very dragged out to me. Um, and I, yeah, but I, I really like the backup. I'm curious 
what the what is going on with her and her suit. I really I so I read most of the uh, uh, Hopeless and and Rodriguez um, Spider Woman stuff and really really liked it. Um, I thought that was a fun way to go with with Jessica Drew and I love Javier Rodriguez's art a lot. Um, and so I like to see her kid show up at the end of of this issue. Um, like that was a lot of fun. I want more of that and perhaps like less like heavy action stuff. Although like, I'm sure that they feel like they need spider spider woman to be doing heavy action things because they did a, you know, more down to earth series with her. And now they're trying to like bring her back more mainstream kind of whatnot. Yeah. I don't know. There seems like there should be a way to do a good, a good blend of both. Um, we were just kind of but, thrown into it too. Which yeah can yeah. work. Yeah, I don't think it works in, like this, in this yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, Jake, what about what about you? Let's get you in on this. I agree with Elias's damning this with fame praise. It was like a he said serviceable. It was like competent, right? It was like a it was fine. But um, I was hoping for something more. And I also uh, not only did I also really like that Dennis uh, Halem run with a uh, pregnant Spider Woman and then the uh, single mom Spider Woman. Uh, but like I know yeah, people good. who that it's good and it's like such an important comic to so many people I know. Like um, I got a friend at my day job at the library, and um, her husband and her daughter are really into Marvel books, and she could take or leave a lot of them. Uh, but just uh, that like single mom ass kicking superhero thing that's her favorite uh comic and she the only cosplay i know her ever to have done is she did that version of the spider woman costume to a comic con that she took her daughter to one time and um that's like oh, such well, a meaningful so book and this yeah, yeah. It's, it's she's a great lady and a good friend and this book is just like i don't know who this is who's this for guys um you're talking about like we need to bounce her back to a high action title but like why if the whole appeal of her was that she it was this like down to earth slice of life superhero and we and that's what made spider-woman work for people then why be like and now let's make her not work for people that seems kind of silly to me um i thought yeah. thematically if we're gonna deal into d- dig into it it's all really weird like so she's got to make ends meet so she's superheroing for hero for hire for like this millionaire on a boat and then there's some like incompetent shitty kidnappers and she beats them up and is like mean to the rich kids i guess and I, I love that she was mean to the rich kids, though. Like that made me laugh. I, I was like, I'm fine with that. It was confident. It was, I like chuckled. Uh, I chuckled. Yeah, it was it was a little, a little extreme. Like no, I like the meanness to the kids. Why is she asshole, working for? Did she need to throw him into the ocean with a life preserver? She absolutely needed to throw him into the ocean. It, it, it was incongruous to the to rest of the title because it wasn't. It doesn't matter. Over it doesn't, the top. I mean, it does. It totally does. It, matter, it totally right? does. But also, why? Why is she here? Why is this the job that that's my problem? The creator I, has placed her in. I like. Yeah, it. that's exactly so, the problem. I once. Yeah. Once you're defending the rich kids, you got to throw them into the water. But why is she defending rich kids? Why is that the premise of the book in the first place? Yeah. It seems like yeah. they were like backpedaling like on. Could have been like the backup story. Yeah, I think that could have been more into it. I personally like Taylor characters. There was a Taylor character in J. Michael Straczynski's run who made costumes for of Spider Man who made costumes for the villains and the heroes. Um, he never showed up again. Uh, which sucks because he was the best and he had a great conversation with the thing on Yancey Street. But um, I have I have a soft spot for that kind of like really, really narrow, specific, street-level 
superhero interactions with with people um and we sort of get that here but really it's just an in to the spy stuff and to this to the main story to kind of explain well why does she have a new suit i personally like the new suit it's a little derivative but i really like the design and the way that the old suit is drawn in the second half and on the cover is just really odd it's like really plasticky i don't like that there's, there's a lot of this issue that doesn't sit right with me and that feels like a writer it feels like that that same problem that we had with that's that 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 we that we i had with like tanahisi coach really early on he's a great writer and i think he's been doing amazing stuff on black panther and captain america but those early issues were tough to get through um in a different way than this one, because those were just really dense and, and uh, very political, like in terms of political theory. Um, this one, it, it reads like, like a writer who's come over from another medium. And I think she's moved from TV. Yeah, she was a comedy video game writer um, before this. Mm-hmm. But she's written a lot of comics before. But Jake, I've liked her comics before. Then. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. She wrote a like fun Betty Page comics that I really liked. Oh, yeah. interesting. Um, She's like written some Rick and Morty stuff too. I think, right? Is that right? Yeah, that sounds right. Um, I, I think I think that's correct. Um, I also have strong feelings about the Spider Woman costume, which is um, I think Jessica Drew has one of the coolest masks in comics. That mask is just totally awesome. The um, the red mask with the open part on the top for her hair to come out and the yellow triangle on the forehead. I think it's just like a really striking, memorable superhero mask in a world where like how many more masks designs can there be? Um, so I thought it yeah. was a bummer that they replaced her with the sunglasses because I think the sunglasses always just look douchey for every superhero you put on them. I think it's stupid on Hawkeye and I think it's stupid on her. Um, but I really loved She has the best t-shirt leather jacket superhero costume from when everyone was doing that. And I can yeah. see why we want to go away from the uh, painted on bodysuit that just like is an outline of uh, her lady parts is like, yeah. I see why we want to move away from that. So I never understood why you didn't just let her have the T-shirt and leather jacket and just let her have the mask. Why, why can't yeah. we uh, combine masks with street clothes that that would look cool? This Hawkeye, would that would look cool. The perfect place. Yeah, it could have been so fun at the fact that everyone else is dressed up in these really ill fitting costumes uh, and like because it's a super sweet 16 and you've got your bodyguard who is an actual superhero in these sort of street clothes. That would have been a really, yeah. really cool idea and premise to play with. Um, yeah. And I thought the, cl- the I, I was uh, getting into this a little bit, but the class stuff is weird. It's weird that she's working for rich people. Cause if you look back to like seventies, Luke Cage early before when it was just singular hero for hire, he never takes jobs for douchey rich people. He only takes jobs for people who can't afford it. And that's the whole premise of the book is like why this is not a sustainable business model. And then you kind of laugh at it and it's fun. And uh, being like, ah, the, the, the like, I guess the gig economy affects us all. It's just such a bummer. <laughs> I didn't like it. It was just like a reminder of uh, how crushingly unfair stuff is, even for superheroes, I guess. And not in like an inspirational, they make it work kind of way. Just in a like, ah, yeah, sometimes you have to like, fight kidnappers for kids that you hate to like make some money to feed your baby like what a bummer yeah it'd be like it'd be like that sometimes yeah and we don't even get that until the backup story i think i mean i think like i i had like less problems with her uh 
having to do things for rich people for the reasons that you said, Jacob, like it's showcasing like all oh, the gig economy, you know, gets us all people got to make ends meet kind of thing. Um, but I would like, I, I do agree that like, I really thought that the, the redesign of her costume, like the, the Javier Rodriguez, like the jacket and the t-shirt and everything. Like, I just thought that was a great redesign. It was like better than this, like body tight skin suit thing. She could have like totally worn that or just street clothes to just to like bash on rich, on rich folks. It's, and like as much as, as much as I think the, the backup story was better than the, um, than the, the front end story. Like, it seems weird that she would go to a tailor and be like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to like walk out in this suit. Yo, that's like tailor made for me, tail. literally tailor made for me. Yeah. I don't know. But everyone knows her identity. They call her Ms. Drew. Yeah. I mean, it's, it just seems weird that cause like the tailor's kind of like, Oh, I had this one on hand. I have just the thing for you. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. It, it, I was it just seems... I was saving it for Spider Man, but yeah, I was saving this because the supervillain gave it to me to give to you. Uh, I don't know. It it seems like a, a a silly reason for a costume redesign, for a bad costume redesign, for a bad, and especially because they they mention on page one on page one of the comic, one of those shitty rich kids is like your costume looks dumb, basic, or on page two, I guess. Um, who are you like on, on, who you're supposed to be? I'm Spider Woman. Ha, that's a terrible Spider Woman costume. It's a terrible Spider Woman costume. It's like, a new Spider Woman costume that, like, it, yeah, yeah. I think it's like, I, I just think it's funny. Uh, it's like, it's like ironic, but not in uh, I meant to be ironic kind of way. She should have uh, said, I'm Spider Man because this is just Miles' suit, and I still like this suit. Yeah, I like Miles' suit a lot. I think this, yeah, one, I the black, the the mat, like the hair. And the mask being black. It's it's um, a little too much, like that, a little too black widow. A, yeah. A little bit. It's just odd. I think so I, I think I agree with y'all. This is a weird comic. It's a it's a it's a hard left turn from the sort of like emotional down to earth book that uh, I didn't even know that, the, woman, that the woman was in that in that panel is wearing her old costume. She is. She's wearing I didn't even so, yeah. That. Yeah, that's why she it, makes that Hawkeye. Yeah. <laughs> She does. I appreciate those little bits of the panels. Like all the background stuff is a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like I'm thinking about it's like so you you brought me to Hawkeye Elias (laughs) with that comment. Um like Hawkeye had like a very emotional down to earth run, like the fraction and then the Lemire, um, like fraction aha, Lemire, Annie Wu stuff, emotional, down to earth, like one of those fun series that Marvel's been doing in the last few years that or last 10 years, last 15 years, well, it captures the like day-to-day superhero stuff and like grounds that and makes it emotional, but I don't know. And like a really fun way. And then, and then now we have like Hawkeye Freefall that like Rosenberg and Otto Schmidt are doing. And it's still like very grounded. And so far as like Hawkeye's a street level hero and, and as much as like, like Jessica has powers and stuff, but she's like very much a street level hero. She's got cool powers. Like, that's too. like, She's got cool powers. Yeah. That's what always bums me out with uh, how they keep on failing to launch Spider-Woman is um, Spider-Woman's just got like a great superhero power profile and you could like do a lot of stuff about her having to problem solve with her many interesting powers. And it always just ends up being like a generic. She's like kicking and uh, I don't know. Yeah. Spider-Woman, I'm always rooting for Spider-Woman to work. And the the Halem one is not what um, 
what I would have done with it, but that's why it was cool. And then every every other Spider Woman yeah. thing kind of just uh, ends up disappointing me. And I'm sorry to say. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. But I think like like this is like trying to go back to that like high octane kind of bullshit stuff instead of like keeping it grounded in all the things that that worked um, in the last sort of Spider Woman run. Um, and I think I think even too like like I I like Perry Perez um, like he did really great work uh, for Valiant on the Archer and Armstrong stuff and Hell then yeah. the like Rogan the Rogan Gamut miniseries Hell yeah. that Kelly Thompson did also very good. I didn't really like this this whole thing. It looks like very uh, like kind of like mid aughts and and sort of like every all the like very sort of like standard comic book art. Um, okay. Well, moving on to uh, another book that uh, had a lot of not good all around, maybe showing <laughs> my cards a little bit. Uh, Strange Academy number one, written by Scotty Young, illustrated by Umberto Ramos, uh, colored by Edgar Delgado, and lettered by Clayton Cowles. Um, this is the beginning of a brand like Hogwarts in the Marvel Universe, if Hogwarts was in New Orleans and constituted. Uh, students from a variety of different uh different magical origins uh, characters of different magical origins from throughout the marvel universe so we have characters from asgard and characters like from like dr strange related things we have some frost giants we have some other some other stuff uh Uh, the dark dimension other world uh there's voodoo practitioners and all sorts of Earth. People from Weird Weird World, and yeah, Weird Earth. World. That was fun. I like seeing Weird World. I miss Weird World. That that never got enough of a chance. Yeah. Um. So we got a lot, a lot going on. Uh, this issue is a lot, a lot of world building. It's a lot of introducing. It's throwing a lot of stuff at you. Stuff that's like really interesting. Like I can't believe that Marvel didn't do a Hogwarts in the Marvel Universe in the mid aughts to capitalize on the Harry Potter thing like uh they did and it was x-men oh that makes sense okay it's a, so it's this a is sort just of reviled, x-men right yeah it's a sort of reviled run of x-men that i stand by but like i've reread recently and i acknowledge it's not like good good i just like it but it was called a young x-men and then republished as academy x and it's like really trying to be hogwarts they even have houses it's like really stupid oh wow head. i loved it so that's where like okay. uh, that's where pixie yeah. and rock slide that's where a lot of those mutants are from okay well, and because even because in it at that time too, I guess now that I'm saying it, like they had the Avengers Academy stuff, and that was sort of like teens and schools need to learn how to use powers. And anyway, yeah. So, so this is this is kind of like like Hogwarts in the Marvel universe. Um, throws a lot of stuff at you, building this new realm, this new area. Uh, Jake, we'll go to you first. What did you think about this this first issue? Oh my god, what a disappointment this first issue was. I was so excited by the character designs going into this. And the character designs was ended up being the strongest part of uh, the issue. But yeah, um, just totally dead on arrival for me. The The writing and the art were just not working uh, either. They, um, I was kind of on board at the beginning when they do this origin story for this like very generic Kansas girl, Emily Bright. That's her name, right? Yeah, that's right. And... Um, and and I was like, okay, I understand. Well, I get the kind of story this is. She's our point of view. And then she's like touring the school, and uh, we're meeting everybody. And I just didn't like anybody. I didn't like any of these classmates. Um, 
Okay, I'm gonna can I show my hand a little bit? I um yeah. during the quarantine, I am playing a visual novel, which is a sequel to an old visual novel called Magical Diary. And um, Magical Diary is very much like a you are going to fake Hogwarts, and it's like very I don't know if any if if you are the one listener we have who's like really into uh, visual novels or this one in particular, DM me and we could talk all about it. But it's very gentle. It's very like, oh, who are you going to date? Which classes do you want to take? Your professors are kind of uh, crotchety, but they don't mean bad by it. And there's like all the conflict is like very low stakes and very emotional. And this felt like a poorly executed version of that. Like the all the conflicts felt super shallow. The characters felt super shallow. And um, at the end of the day, like, yeah, they've done they've done this as we just went over. They've done this before to much better effect with Avengers Academy, which had a great hook, which was that the teachers were all scared that the students were going to turn out to be villains. And in the uh, mm. X-Men one, you have the hook that they're mutants, so the world hates and fears them. And in um, uh, in the America Chavez short-lived uh, ongoing, she was going to an X-Men oh, yeah. college, and that was – just like weird and fun and it was named after Sonia Sotomayor and it had a lot of personality. And that's what it comes down to is this had no personality. This was just like dry board in a paper bag. That's not a thing people say. I shouldn't have said that. Um, so yeah. I, I'm going to be the rebel here and I'm going to say, I yeah. actually, played, I, I liked strange Academy, but as you were talking, I'm like, when you were, when you were talking about how it, they, this was done to, much better effect in the early 2000s i'm like shit this feels this reads and looks like it's a little shinier now but it looks like an early 2000s book and that's because i think that's how scotty young is writing this he's writing his new warriors book but instead of drawing it himself uh humberto ramos is here and i think humberto ramos does a great job like he he's he's not cartoony enough to really sell it but he does it he's that that kind of middle ground between uh the the more the the Perry Perez and the Scotty Young he's that that middle ground and i think it works for the book but i would have much rather and this is just because i really like chris bacalo i would have much rather seen him come back to the world of magic after his doctor strange run and just seen him play with this world i don't know if it would have worked so well because he doesn't do backgrounds and large environments super well at least not anymore um his stuff tends to be very very person focused and and you've got those weird dropouts but i really like that it's just it's kind of a blah representation of the magical world it's very very specific but i still really liked it and I'm, i'm excited to see where it goes but yeah they're isn't really a hook and there's not really a good reason why strange academy is now a thing it's not like this has been a lot and they're saying oh it's been running in the background for a while um we've just now expanded it and this is our in it's brand new we don't know why and this doesn't really tie into anything that's been going on over in the dr strange book um i don't even know if zelma is still part of that book she's not she's not yeah um no so i i think we would have been better off starting with i mean now now i'm rewriting the book but i think we would have been better starting off with zelma instead of having her pop in like give us a mission statement why is this magical school around now what founded it what started it what what prompted them to go you know maybe we should be doing this 
because it's not this girl. It's not our main character. She's got mm-hmm. magic, but she's clearly not the reason for the magic school. She's just here. She, she's our into this world, but so is every other character. We could have we could have had a bunch of instead of everyone meeting at the school, we could have had preschool every one of these characters. And the end of the issue is now you're at school and we've gotten to know the people a little bit. As we and- sort of do here, but it's all in relation to I hate you, I hate you, our people hate each other. Oh look, it's Dormammu's son who looks utterly ridiculous in his jock polo prep look and it's the best yeah. he's got a like a pumpkin on his head but he's wearing yeah. like know, why is like, loki here like why? ralph lauren yeah so piggybacking on that i i have that question about a lot of the teachers like um like magic has a whole rich thing going on in the x-men books right now yeah. and she's teaching here and that's interesting but we don't really understand that and like nico minoru is doing her own thing in runaways and it, like it does, she doesn't make sense as a teacher to me because um she's so i can't really see her working at like an institution and being an authority figure she seems like she would be maybe like the counselor for at-risk teens or something like uh just uh everyone kind of stands in a circle and they're like hi we're all professors we teach at the school and then none of them have anything to say or do yeah and they say like they're just guests like they're gonna be guest professors and so i'm like none of these people are gonna be like real characters in this book like zelma kind of seems to be like the only main adult character like her and dr voodoo and I love Zelma. Like so so Zelma is a character that Jason Aaron and Chris Bacalo introduced in and in their Doctor Strange run, which I thought was really, really good. Um, I think she's like a very like a very interesting character. I think she's like a less well known character, so it was weird that she was the other main point of view character in this issue. Yeah. Like I kind of thought that but I'm glad that she's here. Like I'm glad that that somebody's picked her up. Um yeah, I Elias, I disagree. I think like Ramos uh was the absolute wrong choice of artists the for this absolute book. wrong choice Oy. yeah i mean i think like i if you're gonna have a book that's about teenagers you want somebody who's like drawn teenagers in the last you know oh, like 20 doesn't... years or whatever i think michael Mundo could have handled the the ridiculous of this really well i don't even i don't even want like i think i want like somebody like like stefano caselli or like the other sort of like those um, kind of like, Lu- like Luciano Vecchio, who's like about to do New Warriors, would have been really good on this. Book. Adrian like, Alfano would have been really good. Adrian mm-hmm. Alfano would have been any perfect. of any of the old Runaways crew or the new Runaways yeah. crew. Yeah, I think like you want like I think that like Rama. What Ramos gets good about well, Ramos as well here, like you were saying, it's like he's good at the backgrounds. He's good at the like the building, the sort of the environment. Um, and I can I can I can tell that that's like been well well-reasoned and um like well thought out and there was probably a lot of planning and prepping and all that that went into into um into that whole process uh like i i totally that's legit um but like even still all of these characters seem at least like the the like the human characters seem like mostly kind of indiscriminate and i I still don't really know who's who part of that is like because scotty young just kind of dumps everything on us um but yeah like i i think a lot of it looks like really muted and really just like odd. Like the art looks like kind of odd. Delgado's coloring is weird on this. Yeah, it's... I think that the the coloring is a lot more muted than because I think Ramos and Delgado like are they always work together. Um, uh, yeah, like they did hunted together, which I also was 
on, but that was for different yeah. reasons. This is, yeah, I think like we've been saying, like there's a lot of potential in this to be really, really good. Like I think even if, if we'd have just focused on, on Emily for like the whole first issue, like done her inner monologue, meeting all these characters, I think even, even that yeah. would have been better. Like, I don't feel like I'm, I'm attached to anyone at this point. Like, I just feel like we, we, we went from a singular focus to a, to a group yeah. perspective and we lost the we lost the narrative position yeah. at some point. Um, it's never clear why. Well, and my strongest yeah, feeling is dislike for a lot of these characters. Like a lot of them, their their characterization is just like a flatly they're a jerk and they don't play well with others and they don't get along and they don't want to be here. And just like the, uh, the that cable book we were talking about in the first half of the show was such a joy because um, he's so excited yeah. to be here yeah. with the X Men. And this is a book about a bunch of people who are either like too shy to want to be here or just like too awful to want to be here. So it's just like a bunch of people not wanting to be here. And I don't want to be here. I don't want to be with you guys. You guys, you know. Yeah. 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 I'm probably, I'm probably done after this issue with this book. I'm probably not going to come back in. Oh, wow. I'm definitely going to give it a couple more. I think, I think Scotty um, can rein in his dialogue a little. That might also be. I'll come back. Because uh, these pages are pretty, yeah. pretty dense. Scotty won me a lot of goodwill with um, Middle West. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I like Scotty Young. Yeah, Middle West is so good that um, I'm gonna. Yeah, <laughs> I think like if this if this book sh- becomes like important to something overall that Marvel's doing, I'll come back and and reread it and binge and binge it and pick up there. But in, until then, I think I'm probably I'm probably out. I have a feeling this might end up being one of those six issues. Six issues and out. Suddenly yeah. gone. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Because it could yeah, have like I think you're right, Elias. It just kind of yeah. appeared. Well, there's like so much potential. like there's so much potential in this book too. And we've and we've said that. And and at C two E two, like Scotty Young was on one of the on the Marvel Next Big Bang panel and they were talking about it and and he was like very excited and everyone on the panel was very excited about it, which like some of that's like, oh, they have to say stuff like this because it's a panel. But like people were talking about like when he pitched this idea at like one of the summits and everyone's like, that's a great idea. And I think it's a great idea. I just think it is like very poorly well executed very poorly executed here. I bet it was a great pitch. I bet that being in the yeah. room with that pitch yeah. happened. It was so exciting. I think, yeah, it suffers from a lot of yeah. setup. So that's why I'm going to give it at least another couple yeah. issues. See where he goes. And see what because this really definitely fair. wasn't the meat of the pitch. The the pitch had to be there's something else here that we're going to sure. get to, um, but what it is and whether or not it plays out well is uh, I don't know. We'll yeah. find out. Yeah, totally. Speaking of kid, Speaking characters, of kid characters, so yeah, on to our last book of the night. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about Outlaw number one, the one shot that sets up the Outlaw status quo um, for the next, you know few months or or longer um all of the books that are a part of this are, are going to be bannered with outlawed on the cover um so this one shot written by eve ewing illustrated by kim jacinto colored by espen uh Gruntiern, and lettered by the illustrious clayton cows um so this sets up uh gotta love clayton uh <laughs> this sets up that status quo this is sort of the inciting event for outlawed um it's sort of like civil war but like they're teenagers um but a much more much more uh current to our you mean civil war but civil good. war but good i think i said that on a podcast already i stand by it um uh yeah i mean civil war was very much about like 
post 9-11 America and the Patriot Act and all this, this is very much about um, teen, teenage activism in an age where the loudest, um, you know, challengers of government's inability to do anything about the climate crisis is um, a teenage, a teenage girl from Europe. So like this, so like this issue has its own Greta, Greta Thunberg and she's threatened by Roxanne because corporations are evil. Um, and then things happen. And at the end of it, you know, uh, teenage or teenage superheroes are, are banned, are outlawed. Um, it's also once again, the, that the idea of, oh, they're passing laws that are to protect the children, but really there's an ulterior motive and, or they've, there are unintended consequences beneath it all that really do a lot more harm than good and don't protect the people they're supposed to protect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so that's that's the issue. It sets up uh, Ewing is going to be writing Champions, um, which will start next month. Is being relaunched uh, with art by uh, Simone de Medio. Um, I'm hoping we can end this on a, on a good note, and I uh, I think I'm going to be critical, so I'd, I don't want to. Okay, go well, last. go first. Go ahead. Okay, um, I um, I've been chewing over what about this issue didn't didn't work for me. So I want to start with um, I'm going to do this like a sandwich, I guess. Um, one thing I really liked is uh, Ewing is obviously just like a tremendously good writer. And every time she's writing words, her words are good. And by which I mean, like, the dialogue really cr- – I know that sounds like a fan phrase, but uh, the, the dialogue's really crackling. And um, just, like, compared to Strange Academy, where everyone is just, like, kind of standing around, just, like, bluntly saying things unartfully, like, I am the Frost Giant one. I practice Frost Giant magic. And that's what they all sound like. Um a lot of the writing really stuck with me and was really powerful. And she has such a way with words and choosing words. And uh, that's something that a lot of comic writers are not great at. Um, And Ewing is uncommonly good at, and I I think it's like worth acknowledging and shouting her out for that. Um, But that being said, I have never loved her scripts. Um, I think when there's a lot of chaos and action, as there often is in superhero comics going on, um, I tend to get lost in her comics, and there was like one mm. action scene in that that seemed like it should have been pretty uh, clean, where all of the champions are fighting a dragon. And uh, we've seen action scenes like this before, where like superheroes are fighting a big monster, and everyone's doing their uh, their different powers. And uh, but it completely, um, I got lost, and maybe that's my deficiency that I, I was having trouble following it. Um, no, but that was like one. a large part of. Okay, well, I, I found it pretty unclear, and it was a large part of the issue, so that kind of was um, was tough for me. And then this is a really weird complaint, but another thing that Ewing tends to do that uh, doesn't work for me, that she did this a lot in Ironheart, and she did it in this issue again, is um, she introduces these like one-off characters to stand for something, and um, those I, I never connect with those characters. Like there was a senator who we spent a lot of time in the hearing with. I think he was the senator. He was a political figure of some sort, and there was the Roxxon representative. And we haven't seen these characters before, and they have, like, really everyday names. And there was the the activist who was clearly modeled after uh, Greta... uh, Is it Thunberg? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Thunberg? Um, um, And I I understood what she was doing. Like, the reference wasn't lost on me, but I was kind of just like, uh, why? Why are we introducing this new character when... um, that role could have been filled by characters you already have in the cast. And she always seems to add these superfluous characters. And probably I, I, I can see that being appealing to somebody, but um, I, I feel like there's this big universe of characters that I'm interested in and introducing these uh, one-off 
characters uh, that I'm not sure if I should invest in is always a barrier of entry to me, which may sound like really petty, but um, it uh, it gets in my way. But that being said, um, clearly this issue is trying is going for a, a political statement, and I actually thought that this was like the best handling of politics in any sort of superhero comic like this. And I wanted, that's my, um, my biggest takeaway. There was, uh, that little speech that Nova gives at the hearing where he's just like, you don't really care about, um, t- t- protecting teen superheroes. If you care about protecting teens, why aren't you doing something about all the school shootings? And he said it much more eloquently than that. And I, but it was like really affecting. I was like, Holy shit. Uh, she's putting it all out there and she's, and she's speaking truth and she's saying things that I think we all know as readers and it's cool that this that the kid heroes know this, and they um, it's just like uh, it was uh, the eloqu- eloquence in handling this hot button issue where I feel like usually in superhero comics we get like a combination of cynicism and bluntness, and this was just like it, it, and that was really powerful. And then at the end, the status quo, I was like, okay, I'm interested to see where this is going. I'm definitely uh, planning on following this, um, and I hope I can just get used to Ewing's style because I really struggle with it, and I feel bad about that because I know she's an important uh, writer to so many people, and I, and I see all the good in her. I just, um, I'm a dummy. No, I, I don't think, I don't think that, I don't think that you're a dummy. I think that what you're saying makes a lot of sense, um, and I think. Like us as like us as readers who've read a lot of superhero comics and who are like are really, I don't know, like as like dumb and stupid as like superhero action scenes are. Like we read comics because we like to watch people punch each other, um, and and that's real, you know. Yeah. And and I think I think that you're absolutely right that like the the action sequence of this comic um, is the weakest part of the issue. Like hands down, that's 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 true. Um, and it's a lot of it. If it was, if it was just like a little passing thing, I, you know, I'd be like, all right, well, she's yeah. not that. Yeah. It's stretched out. You're, you're right. You're right. And it has to be like, this is an oversized one shot. Um, yeah. uh, mm, I think, I think they could have gotten away with having a lot more, a few more pages of the aftermath. I think they really could have done, done with more, a little more in the, tr- in the court, in the, the Senate committee, a little bit more in the, aftermath of the battle well, i think the i think the aftermath so part is, is, is going to be shown in the status quo moving forward so they didn't want to like sit in that no, no no i meant like like directly after like with oh, all the I heroes okay. like what were th- what was going through their mind what was going okay. through everyone else's because we just get this this shot uh this page of um aliana kind of being like where's yeah. kamala khan which is clearly the soundbite that's going to be played and referenced uh kind of like whatever the soundbite was after civil war the town blew up but mm-hmm. or not the town blew up speedball blew up the town <laughs> gotta gotta check my past connecticut show some respect i couldn't remember <laughs> you're from the tri-state no, area come on you're yeah, on the I, keep, I keep thinking it's stanford that's on the west coast so some pride kid. i know um no i think you mo- on american i don't study geography Jesus christ uh we're all fucked um uh <laughs> you might be right about that i i agree with i agree with jake that the action sequence is entirely too long but i do want to say and 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 you said this jake like this is the most sort of like poignant um like political comic big two comic that i've read probably ever um like i'm thinking about like jim zub tried to do an issue about school shootings and champions um in the middle of his run and was writing about like 
the the high school that Miles Morales goes to, like being um, experiencing a school shooting and like Miles like struggling with that and the champions struggling with that. And a lot of that like rang really shallow to me um, because it like was a comic filled with like statistics and sort of like false feelings. Um, and this feels just like very real, like the anger that these teenagers are feeling about their government's inability to do anything like feels real. Um, like every, all of the dialogue feels real. And it's so, like everything you're saying about her being able to like to craft dialogue and to craft like characters in such a way that they feel real and their feelings feel real and authentic. Um, like I really buy that. And that's why I really, really loved this shoe. And that's what I loved about Ironheart because everything that she was writing about uh, like Rear Williams, like being in Chicago and like being a um, like black woman and a teenager, like all of that felt really not that like I'm either of those things, but like that felt really real. Um, like sh- she made Chicago feel really real. And like this all feels really real. And I liked it for that reason. Um, I think like more and more lately, which is probably a lot of why I've been drawn more so to like to the X-Men comics, because they're not just like people punching each other. It's like, I really like this sort of like level of nuance and this level of we can say something and these characters can be real characters and we can also punch people. I'm willing to forgive, I think a lot more of like action sequences being kind of stilted lately and like maybe more so in like overall in my career. But I, I do agree that like the action sequence in this is the weakest part of the issue. I don't know if it was necessarily stilted, but more of unclear. Like, Kim, yeah, I don't know if I can lay this at the feet of Kim Jacinto, uh, because no, I loved, I loved a lot Kim of. I, I can follow the yeah. line, the lines of battle, but there are just pages where I'm, where I was reading, and I couldn't figure out the layout of the battle. I had no idea what was going on. I was following the dialogue, and and I kind of understood it, but then it just kind of collapses. And I'm like, well, why? Where's this person going? How's this person have? going from point A to point B, where is everyone in this battle? There was a lot of chaos, and it wasn't chaos for chaos, for, like, as a purposeful. It didn't feel like the chaos was purposeful. It felt like it was... You were... Tr- we were trying... She, it felt like Eve was trying to draw lines between these two separate points in the battle to get us to where uh, Viv is being infused with the chi energy, but getting to that point i didn't know where anyone was i didn't know how they were battling i didn't know why they were losing so badly it, it's they speak about that they're losing badly but they don't show it which is funny because i wanted the battle to be shorter but they don't show enough of the important bits of the battle for to for me to really understand all of that until we get to the point where viv is just a, bio, a engulfed in just green flames which makes the earlier points uh, of vision looking down kind of make more yeah. sense. Um, I think I think that's true. For, um, um, I, sorry, no, I'm. I think that I think that's absolutely true, uh, and I think like that's absolutely like a thing that, like that civil war, like like caved into. Like whenever you add like any level of realism to sort of like a superhero fight, it 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 struggles. And like trying to balance, like trying to say something. And like trying to pointedly say something because that's what the status quo is about with like trying to have like superhero heroics is like always off. Like I still don't know hundred percent like what happened to Viv at the end of this issue. 
And that's frustrating. I'm also like, oh, like, you know, a building fell on Miss I Marvel. I think she was killed at a subatomic Well, but they left. said, like, she, they don't know where she went. So, like, she might still be out there somewhere. I don't know. But, like. Well, she probably yeah, will But, be. like, also, like, Miss Marvel, comics. like, I don't know, like, a building falls on her. Like, some building, part of a building falls on her and she's in the hospital. Like, I feel like she's survived worse things than that, like, in her own solo series. Like I think whenever whenever you have to introduce those constraints, you there are always like things that are going to struggle. Jake, you were trying to say something though, so go ahead. Oh, I was just saying for an example of, um, and I know we're really uh, we're scrutinizing what's not the most important part of the issue, but for an issue that does has a similar uh, handles a similar sequence masterfully, um, there was the Kelly Sue DeConnick run of a comic called Avengers Assemble. In um, around 2012, it was around the time the movie was coming out, the first movie. Um, it was uh, Kelly Sudeconic with, uh, I think it was Stefano Caselli on art. And um, I remember this was like at the peak of the Bendis era of the Avengers. So there was this like a scene after scene of the Avengers just like sitting around and like quipping at each other while eating pancakes in a big room. And you're like, is this what the Avengers are about? What is this? Um, and then Kelly Sue comes in and she takes over his, uh, the book that Bendis had done the first like eight issues of. And suddenly it was this book where like, di- uh, like I was saying earlier, where different heroes are using their powers to solve problems. And uh, Kelly Sue, for the first time in, in, uh, when I, in my comic reading life, made me understand like why Captain America, Thor, and Spider-Woman can be on a team together and like why that's a good idea and how they handle like a big monster or a, a situation like this. And that was just like so clean and it was going from action beat to action beat. And I think that that um, the trade is marketed as science bros, which is a really stupid title. Um, but that's like a masterclass in like uh, superhero team action, clear storytelling. It, it's just like, it's awesome. You read it and you, you get why this should be a genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, this uh, is, that, that's my recommendation. Yeah. For there's, a, there's a bit of a, a continuity thing that gets me and i know continuity is probably the literally the least important part of this but it's kind of the crux of the issue and that viv gets mad and flies up to take out the dragon but she hasn't had like her emotions have been turned she turned them off after the events of the vision and i don't believe she ever turned them back on in the champions that's part of the whole thing but here she's like legitimately frustrated and angry. And I don't understand why I, Eve does not do a good enough job of establishing why this here is frustrating Viv. Why, and why the champions are so uncoordinated. And, and like the, I think she did a, she, she tried to give us this big action set piece, perhaps at the behest of Marvel to give an explanation for why outlawed ends up being passed or the law ends up being passed and why Kamala is the, uh, the inciting incident, like like why it's named after her. Uh, But she doesn't do a good enough job of, of establishing right before this, why we're at that point, why we're getting to, all these battles. Why? Why is? Why do they fail so spectacularly to the point where they basically just hand the win to these senators who are basically recreating Hammer, but for teens? Uh, and then, the, yeah, like that. That's the other part that, and I want. I I really do like this. I love the idea, and I love the status quo that it's creating. 
but I don't understand why they're doing it in such a like like a fear itself uh not fear itself but like like the the Norman Osborn uh, style Dark Rain is what of, of yeah Dark Rain yeah like they're banging on the doors of Lunella to what take her away to Speedball secret bunker teen helpness like there 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 aren't enough of the lines drawn between the law or between the the team falling apart which is the inciting incident for the law being passed and then the law being passed and its actual ramifications because i thought that from what this sounded like it was the law was just saying these teen heroes can't be doing this anymore but it seems like retroactively if you were a teen hero you're now government property and you're going to be taken away from your families which is well i'm like, sure that's the kind instantly. of thing we're going to be which is probably I'm yeah sure going the kind to of thing be, we'll be exploring yeah. probably going to be explored, future issues i was but i agree with you just i bet ridiculous. one of those goons who was knocking on lunella's door is like the same goon who was part of hammer and he was the same goon that was part of the cape killers during civil war one it's just like how short are these people's memories that they keep on joining the squad to like oppress superheroes for the latest political metaphor it it's is like funny a, that Speedball is one of the people working on that side of the government because he totally would. Yeah. Right. Well, and I'm sure that's going to be the crux of his arc here. But it's just like, it's so funny with the Marvel timeline being as short as it is and them having rehashed a similar story so many times lately that, like, you got to figure the uh, the bank of guys who are willing to, like, go out and hunt superheroes ineffectively is, like, pretty small at this point. And it's the same, like, six yeah. guys. It's the gig economy, man. It gets all of us. Uh, <laughs> oh man, the fucking gig economy. That's uh, of the night. Yeah, no, I. Uh, so I will say some of the, while like not having been like established in any sort of like lead up series or whatever, um, to my knowledge, like the setup for this was in that incoming one shot, and it was like the champions watching this particular senator on screen. Oh, yeah, that's right. that's right. I forgot about uh, that. Like that happened months ago, and is like that months I think, ago, and that wasn't the type of setup we needed. Like right. that was no, the perfect not, setup yeah, for yeah. the law for what I thought we were going to get. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it just finally I mean, got I, too I think down like, in the superheroics. I think Civil War sort of like came out of nowhere. Also, like there's less real sort of setup. Like it was there was the exciting incident, and then all the other comics reacted to that. So I do yeah. feel like not that we needed a lot of setup i mean like champions was canceled uh, i think we needed ago. more of the personal set maybe not sure. maybe, i feel like i'm explaining myself poorly but i'm annoyed that we weren't given enough of the people interact that the champions interacting with each other to give us the emotional stakes for the fight because i read all of the champions stuff from jim zub and uh and iron heart I, I think i missed the last couple issues of iron heart but and I've been reading Miles Morales, and I've been reading uh, Miss Marvel, and it's not that the law itself comes out of nowhere, because sometimes that happens, and that that's the case. But the big battle that pulls it off, I don't understand why all the characters are acting the way they, they are, and I, if this is supposed to be a one-shot standalone to set that up, it needs to do the work, and it didn't do the work. Yeah. No, yeah, I think I think uh, I think there are flaws in the issue. I feel like it did its job of like setting the stakes, um, and we haven't even talked um, 
at all about like I really thought that like the uh, like Kamala's law would be like Miss Marvel would be outed and that would be the end of the issue. Mm. But or her parents like, were going to be driving it. Yeah, or or something like that. Um, and it's just because like she saved uh, this like young activist, and I think that's a really great way of like setting this up. Um, like that'll lead to really interesting things because it's named after someone who didn't even want the law yeah and who's someone who is like a a teenage hero who's gonna like violate the law who's gonna like definitely go against it um i don't know Uh, can i I try to end this on a high note yeah go for it oh i I didn't mean to interrupt you no i i I think there's i i we've we've heaped a lot of a lot of like not great stuff on this and i like agree that there's flaws in this issue I really, really liked like Jacinto's heart. I think it was like very kinetic and fun. I think it sold the sort of like teenage feel of this book. And I think like Ewing did a really good job with what seems like was some editorial mandate and some of like, there's a lot of responsibility that goes on this thing to set up the status quo. Oh, yeah. Like sets up the solo series. And I think like, or sets up this new series that she's gonna be writing. And I think like within all that, um, there's like more good here than bad. But Jake, go ahead, finish this off. The high note I want the, the the high note I wanted to end uh, with my thoughts on this is just that um I feel like I, I, I'm really excited for where this is going and yeah. um we talked to this is the third issue in a row that I've been kind of not so warm on but um those other two I like uh, I either don't care to f- uh, continue to follow the series with I don't care Spider Woman I'm probably not going to read a number two uh, Strange Academy I might read a number two but um. Uh, it's I'm, I'm coming in not liking it and this one I'm stoked to see where this is going Absolutely. I'm so excited for this setup mm-hmm. and um, I'm really excited that Ewing's on Champions because I feel yes. like that's the kind of book that with a lot of time on as you get to uh, master the voices of the characters and the pacing of where you want this larger story to go a lot of the uh, issues we're pointing out with this particular issue are going to get smoothed out and um, the status quo is going to be really fascinating. And the important core of the story, the, the themes she wants to discuss are the strongest aspect of this first issue. And that's the thing that's impossible to, if if she blew that, uh, the story would would be dead, but she didn't, she nailed that and all the other stuff I can see getting better really quickly. So I'm stoked. And even if it had some criticisms of the issue itself, I think it's going to be great and I'm really excited to follow it. Yeah, which like what a novel concept to put a millennial on the champions book. I was gonna say she's probably she was probably saving a lot of the the discussions and whatnot for the champions book where she would have the the space to really dig into what the law means and and what the characters are feeling afterwards. Because um, we get that one panel with Miles being like, she is the the person is right to ask the question and that we should be doing that. We just don't follow up on it here. Um, yeah, so. She's setting it up, and I'm, I'm going to read her champions. I think she's going to do a great job on the champions book. I just, it just, it feels like the one shot itself was lacking something, mm-hmm. something, something meaty in the middle. Sure. Watch, watch, uh, watch the senator secretly be Norman Osborn's clone. I, it wouldn't <laughs> put it past him to be. You know, like Richard Spencer or something. Anyway, uh, <laughs> thanks. Thanks once again, folks. Uh, that is a wrap for our March uh, 2020 episode. You can find us again at the top of April uh, with more comic news and more uh, more reviews and more thoughts. Uh, until then, uh, Elias Jenk, thanks for being on. Uh, where can folks find you on the larger interwebs? Uh, you can find me on uh, multiversitycomics.com. It's a really great website where I write the Mutant Mutantversity 
column where we talk all about X-Men, and I uh, contribute to a lot of other stuff, too. We got some exciting stuff uh, coming down in the pipe that I'll be able to talk about once it's scheduled in the very near future. And uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, where I do some self-promotion and, like, hey, I, you could hear what I'm doing while I'm trapped at home, I guess, and that's real exciting, <laughs> at rambling underscore moose. That's rambling underscore moose. That's me. Nice. And, uh, yeah, you can find me basically just on Twitter uh, every other week uh, at Quetzal-ish, Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. Just read what's below the... It'll be in the description. It's just easier from there. Um, And I also write for Multiversity Comics here. Um, While I am sequestered, trying to figure out how to be a librarian at home... uh, when I'm also not in charge of most of the digital stuff. So that's going to be fun. Find us, find us on the tweet box uh, and only us because everywhere else is a screaming hellscape of anger and negativity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and folks, uh, I am no longer on Twitter, but you can find me at multiversitycomics.com. Uh, as the show moves forward, we'd love for you to check out, um, Every time the show goes up, there's a post on it from Ed Multiversity Comics, and we'd love to engage with you in the comment section there or uh, with Elias and Jake on Twitter or um, by, uh, by other means. Uh, but we'll be back in the month of April. There are a number of exciting books coming out in April. Empire starts. Uh, the Outlawed status quo takes off with Champions and New Warriors and other things. Uh, Black Widow is getting relaunched and X Factor and Children of the Atom start. So a bunch of fun things coming to use then. But until then, stay safe, wash your hands, talk to people, take care of yourself. You're loved. You're valued. We'll see you next month. Okay, bye. <laughs>